Tyron Rollins, Hard News on Friday night on Radio Station 1, BBS Radio. All right. So thank you for joining us. Let's take a few moments to go into our heart space. So take a few breaths, gentle breaths. Breathe into your nose or out and out through your mouth or whatever breathing protocol you'd like to use. Let go of that dross of the day. We go into our heart space. And I hear that calling drum. (laughs) So let's gather with our guides and guardians, our spirit teams, our healing teams, our totems our ancestors, whoever you like to journey with the King of Dublin. And there's a council fire, and it's in the center. Let's gather around that council fire in that virtual way we all know how to do. And make that perfect circle there. As we call in this seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition with the Kimi drum.
welcome from the east have light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see things clearly. Welcome from the north, house of light. May wisdom mature among us so that we may see everything from within. We greet from the west, the house of transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. We greet from the South, house of the eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruits of the planetary being. We welcome from above the house of paradise, where the star people and the ancestors gather. May their blessings reach us now. the house of earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart bless us with its harmony so that we might end war. We welcome from the central source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May everything be recognized as the light of mutual love. Ayam Hunaku, even Maya, Imaho. Ayam Hunaku, even Maya, Imaho. Ayam Hunaku, even Maya. Imaho. All hail the harmony of mind and nature. Ho Matakuya in Makesh. Just stay wherever that drumbeat took you as we take a few moments to look at the Mayan record of days. <clears throat> We know that today is Friday the 13th in our calendar. We call that Mother's Segment Day. <laughs> that is 13 is, is that uh, her number. And uh, in the Mayan calendar, we have the Ben, the sixth Ben. So the sixth is the red rhythmic 
Skywalker. And the Skywalker is the 13th solar glyph. And because it's a six, it's also guided by, the, the day is guided by the uh, band of Skywalker. So it's a 1313 in the Mayan calendar. <laughs> or or record of days, I like to call it. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, we have a double 13, so we look forward to meeting, greeting with um, Mother Segment tonight. That 13 tone is the goddess tone, and it's also cosmic consciousness and natural love, or lore, excuse me, and synchronic time. So the 13 to the 4, so we're working with form and structure and that foundation, uh, angelic earth. And uh, so there you go. We're... We've got a powerful day today, and it's just, <laughs> it's, a, it's a triple 13 in my book. So, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's work with that goddess energy, cosmic consciousness with that energy today. And let's look at the, um, Red Rhythmic Skywalker Day a little closer. The Skywalker keywords are Faith, exploring, wakefulness. And that rhythmic tone, its keywords are balancing, equality, and organized. And we are in the wave of the yellow star in Lamont, which is mm, about making compromises and not giving our power away. So that's the sixth day of this wave. And here's the, the mantra for the day. I organize in order to explore. Balancing wakefulness. I seal the output of space with the rhythmic tone of equality. I am guided by my own power doubled. So this this day is guided by the red Skywalker and the occult power is the yellow star. The ally today is the world bridger. So Kimi. And the challenge today is the blue knight, Akbar. So those are our energies we're working with today. And let's look at that um, Skywalker energy a little bit closer. Ben. Ben is a warrior aspect. And it's about focus and striving towards self-illumination and clarity. So we embrace these gifts with the strength that the Skywalker brings us and that ability to bend dimensions. So let's let go of any resistance to faith or any belief in aloneness as we embrace these energies today. And then we're working with that rhythmic tone. So, um, and, uh, yeah, let's look at this Saturday now. It's uh, the new moon, so we're working. We've got the white resonant wizard for Saturday, a seven ish. So the ish is the magicianary, and it's the magician, and it's a visionary aspect. So we're working with illumination for others and clarity of mind and purpose. 
let's embrace these gifts of that shaman energy. Being that jaguar <clears throat> priestess, that jaguar medicine, integrity, it's about in- working in accordance with divine will. So let's let go of any control of personal power issues or and any manipulation as we embrace these energies on Saturday and, and experience that new moon in the solar eclipse, that ring of fire. And that will be at um, 1.55 Eastern Daylight Time. So get your get your viewing glasses out. <laughs> see what you can see. If you're in the West, you're likely to see the whole ring of fire. If you're in the East, you'll see some of it. And uh, and then on Sunday, we're moving along. It's the um, it's an eight men, so it's the Blue Galactic Eagle. And uh, this eagle energy is a visionary aspect as well. So it's working with our commitment to service. And moving consciousness to source. So we reconnect with all creation in this process. And as we embrace these gifts of independence and our belief in ourselves, let's surrender any feelings of despair or dissociation. And let go of that illusion of separateness. And then moving on to Monday, it's a nine key, the yellow. <clears throat> Solar warrior. This warrior energy is a, a warrior aspect. So we're working with trusting in in our journey, in being, in bringing awareness of right action. So let's embrace these gifts of that communication with the divine, that access to cosmic consciousness. And so we let go of any limitations or restrictions or hesitations. We embrace these energies on Monday. And then on Tuesday, moving right along, a Tenkabong, the red planetary earth, a planetary tone of manifestation in the earth. So it's the healing aspect. And our work with this, the earth is being that keeper of the earth and, and having <clears throat> awareness of earth's energy. So let's embrace these gifts of that access to planetary harmony. And being that balancing point and working with our intuition as we let go of any separation, any failure to read the signs and dissociation. We embrace these energies on Tuesday. And then Wednesday is 11, Etznav, the white spectral mirror. This is another warrior aspect. We're working on groundedness and that wise use of honesty and self-understanding with this mirror energy. So we embrace that gift of scrying the unseen, the fluidity and persistence of the mirror. As we let go of any illusions of separateness, let go of fear, any abandonment, uh, issues and all illusions on this day. So that's on Wednesday and then on Thursday it's the 12th walk, the blue crystal storm. And this is a visionary aspect. So we're, it's about creating transformation for others and lighting clear thought. So let's embrace these gifts of that possibility of freedom, that power of catalyzing, 
If we let go of any addiction to crisis, despair, fear, any illusion of separateness, we embrace these energies. And then on Friday, it's a 13 to how, another Friday the 13th, <laughs> and it's in the Mayan way. So it's the yellow cosmic sun, and it's also pin number 260. We This is the last day of the Hob, uh, the 260-day cycle, of the, <clears throat> that matrix we go to, and it's called the Hob. That's spelled H-A-A-B. The hob. So this is a healing aspect. How, how is it's the sun, and it's it's about rising to Christ consciousness and striving towards wholeness. It's about transmitting energy to others. So we embrace these gifts that the sun brings us: that possibility thinking, unconditional love, and the God self, our God connection. So let's let go of any limitations any separation as we embrace these energies on Friday. And it's also a portal day, and so we'll, with extra dimensional. And we'll talk about it some more next week when we come back, and then we will start a new Hob matrix, and it'll, it'll be very powerful as those first 13 days are are triple triple numbers each time as the day the tone and the and the glyph numbers are the same and the day numbers are the same so it's very powerful to, as we begin that new matrix so we'll talk about that for next week as well yeah. obviously because that's happening <laughs> so thank you for uh, sharing with me the Mayan calendar or record of days and now I'm going to shift my hat and put on this other hat that's called the housekeeping hat and we are a listener supported radio program. It's each of us that get it done and we're in a time now where as we reach into our our hearts and see what is ours to give, we add a little bit extra so that we be sure that we can, the the ones of us who are called to give, um, can give a little bit more so that we can catch up. Um, as Caroline put it last night, we need $1,000, and indeed, we need that for the radio, um, 300 and $55 for the last week of September and $309 for these two weeks of October is $973. So that's coming right up into it. And um, here's how we make that contribution to our account with BBS Radio. You want to go to bbsradio.com and um, there on the homepage, you'll see the schedule for the menu, and go into your heart space and see what is yours to give. And uh, as you want to access our account, you go to Radio Station 1, you'll see our programs listed on the schedule at the 8 o'clock hour. A night at the round table with the panel is on Thursday night at the 8, and these are central times. And you can click on that icon there, and that takes you to our account where you could use your bank card to make that donation directly into our account with BBS Radio. And then the other um, show is this one, the 
on Radio Station One, and it's the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama, listed at the 8 o'clock hour, and you can click on that icon there. And then we have a Saturday show, and it starts at 3.30 Central, and it's the true history, history of Nasera and our galactic origins with Tara and Rama, and... Uh, it's a long one. You could spend the day in never a dull moment. <laughs> uh, it's always good. So um, so that's listed there at the 3.30 hour. You click on that icon. That takes you to our account. You can make that donation there. And that's on the radio station, too. Uh, so there you go. Thank you for taking the action. Thank you for your participation, for paying it forward. And may many, many, many blessings come to you in return for your abundance as well. And I'm sure it will. It's <clears throat> it's the way the energy flows. So thank you for embracing that. And uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. So we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And they have needs for right now. They have bills due yesterday, is the way Tara put it. And <laughs> And here they are. The windstream bill is due now, $141.08. The GEICO bill is due today. It's $105.85. And the DISH bill is due on the 15th, which is day after tomorrow. And so that's $150.85. And so that just adds up to four hundred dollars. Actually, three ninety-seven seventy-eight. We call that four hundred. <laughs> and uh, so, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking that action. And uh, yeah, assisting Tara and Rama with their needs is is we're grateful for all that they do, and they bring us this information we can't get anywhere else. <laughs> And uh, lots of gratitude for all that they do, and lots of gratitude for all the all that you do, and all the ways that you show up in your life. So, as you're sending money, a donation to Tara and Rama, this is um, how you do it. You want to go to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net, and there on the homepage on the far right at the top bar or you're on another device and you can't see the tiny print, <laughs> click on that menu grid. The donate link is near the bottom of that list, next to the bottom, right next to it. So it's down there. That links you to the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account where you can make that donation in any amount using your bank card. And if you want to access the friends option that eliminates the commercial charges, as we are all friends here, you need uh, the email address there for gifting. And that email address, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999949 at hotmail.com. Uh, so... That just eliminates the commercial charges and the money goes a little further that way. So thank you for your gifts. We're so grateful. And as you're sending something, please let Rama know. And that email address for contacting Rama to let him know you sent something is Koran999 at Comcast.net. 
And uh, as you need it, the mailing address is Rom D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567 is the zip. I'll say it again, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So, again, 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. So much gratitude for all of you. And uh, thank you for participating in this way. We are so grateful. So, 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. Long life, no evil, and I'm passing this talking stick. And just, it is just form of full of that goddess energy and the 13s are everywhere that four of stability is a very stable talking stick tonight and uh, lots of form and lots of stars and other aspects that 13 Ben Skywalker energy is in there and it's doubled and the Kimi is in there that leaker of worlds being that ally and uh so here it comes, and it's got lots of fairies and feathers and all kinds of magic going on. I'm seeing little wands with sparkles in it, and, and uh, I'm seeing magical beasts. I'm seeing the dragon energy and the unicorns and all kinds of elves and and gnomes and all those elementals and all those rays of the rainbow that just bring in the energy of the universe. So greetings, Tar and Rama. Here comes this talking stick, and it's got Excalibur with it, that sort of truth. Greetings and welcome. Greetings. Greetings. Happy New Moon. Happy uh, solar, solar eclipse. eclipse. New Dude. Moon. Tomorrow, mañana. Um, I was just going to say, Rainier, every time you bring up that dragon energy, I remember climbing up up that part of the mountain where we went with another friend of ours, right? Yeah, Dea. Yeah, Dea. And there was someone else we knew there, too. But, uh, I mean, Dea found this little green dragon. I think it was like a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were young dragons. There was uh, um, some pearl-white dragons that were... Um, were born in the neighborhood right here, and the tree outside my my window here is an apple tree in the shape of a dragon. And she had seven little baby dragons, and my son could see them all. And and one time he insisted that I buy this little toy truck, and I said I don't have any money. And he said, Well, mom, you need need to look in your purse. And so I looked, and I found all these old ancient bills in my purse and it was exactly the amount of money I needed to buy this little Jeep that ran on remote control. And <laughs> he would run that little that little Jeep around and these dragons would hop on it and they would just go bananas on this on this thing. And <laughs> Are you saying the mother dragon had her babies in a tree? No, but that I know that it was somewhere near there. I don't know where she had the babies, but they were close by because they would be hanging out here all the time. Uh-huh. 
I told them I didn't have fire insurance. If they sneezed, they had to go to the toilet to sneeze into the toilet. And he was... <laughs> <laughs> and he would sit there and laugh. I said, what are you laughing about? And he says, well, he's drag- this dragon sneezing into the toilet. <laughs> got to do what you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> so then I passed this talking stick back to you. <laughs> Thank you, Redbird. We needed a little some cheering up the subject matter tonight. Is all. Mm. What can you say? Um, well, um, what we can say is what, uh, where is it? What the King of Swords said, right, Rama? Yeah. One second, uh, back up this truck just a little bit. Yeah. Hmm. No. Um. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the King of Swords said one thing, right, Rama? Yes. He said to you, in response to this question about what about the Middle East, uh, the King of Swords said the Admiral is here. <laughs> Do you care to elaborate, Rama? Uh, I would just say that, you know, uh, the Admiral, Admiral Sananda Kumara is here. There is a lot of talk of the return of the Christ at this time. And it's not just, you know, one man. Yet that energy, um, as far as I could, uh, Comprehend, Admiral Sananda Kumara is here with the New Jerusalem along with Captain Astar, and it's about what's unfolding as they, the dark side, are playing out their last moments. Send them more love. Yeah, surely. Scaring the heavenly daylights out of the people of Palestine, Rama. Ditto. Yeah. I have no words. And I... I cried a lot today with the deer. Listening to the stories about what's going on. Did they understand? They understood. And they just said, you know, the whole planet is feeling this and to not take it on, to realize it is all of us that have to change this story right now. It's not about war. It's about higher wisdom, kindness, compassion, and 
drop the racism first and foremost. Where is that flash on? I think there's a little assistance in that flash. I would say there were some big solar flares again today. I don't know what the class was, but they were big. I saw, you know, on the internet, big plasma limbs going out from the sun out into space. So that tells me it's, you know, it's big. And these energies affect us all of life. I just thank our lucky stars we're getting to experience this right at this time. And what we can say is, as the Admiral's here, the Admiral's here. Yes. And um, no dates, but I could assume that this... This story that's unfolding at the moment is about the completion of this old grand cycle. This eclipse coming up tomorrow morning, um, Blaze of Island Fire, it's going to be a trip. That's all I can say. Well, it's, it's in the morning our mountain time, but it's in the afternoon. <laughs> In Eastern time, and then you can gauge everything in between. All right, I'm just going to read this. Uh, Caroline found our friend Dr. Gabor Mate. So he, the title is Gabor Mate speaks out on Israel and Palestine. A must watch. Well, we're not going to watch. We're going to listen. But and Caroline introduces Dr. Mate this way. This gentleman is an international expert in helping people heal from addiction and trauma and helping all others understand what trauma and addiction are based on and how we can deal with it. He is Jewish from Poland and survived Auschwitz as a very small child. Most of his family died there. I have followed his work for some time and owe him a great deal, as do many. Much love. So let's just play this. This is 12 minutes. Let's get started. Have a good listen. that's closest to my heart and has been for a long time so you know my history I don't have to repeat it but I'm a I'm personally a holocaust survivor as an infant um, I barely survived my, my, my grandparents were killed in Auschwitz and uh, most of my extended family was killed um, that's my personal background I grew up ashamed of my Jewishness in, uh, in Hungary 
after the war, I was still bullied for being Jewish. And I remember one of my friends coming to my rescue once saying, leave him alone. It's not his fault that he's Jewish. It's a fault, but it's not his fault. This was the defense. So I grew up with that. In my teenage years in Canada, I became a Zionist. This dream of the Jewish people resurrected in their historical homeland and the barbed wire of Auschwitz being replaced by the boundaries of a, of a Jewish state with a powerful army. I, I found it liberating. It was exhilarating to believe in that dream. And I absorbed all, the, all that perspective, all that point of view, and I really believed in it. And then I found out that it wasn't exactly like that. That in order to make this Jewish dream a reality, we had to visit a nightmare on the local population. You couldn't, there was a Zionist slogan called uh, um, a land without a people for a people without a land. But there was no people with, there was no land without a people. There was people living there who'd been living there for hundreds and years or even longer. As a matter of fact, <laughs> if you want to hear something really interesting, and David Ben-Gurion, who was the first prime minister of Israel, actually subscribed to this. He said this, <clears throat> who are the Palestinians? Because the Jews in uh, Roman times, never all, all of them never left Palestine. Many of them stayed there. And some of them, hundreds of years, hundreds of years later, converted to Islam. So guess who the Palestinians are? In some ways, <laughs> they might be descendants of ancient Jews. They are cousins, to say the least, no matter how you look at it. And, in order, and there's no way you could have ever created uh, a Jewish state without uh, oppressing and ex expelling the local population, which is what they did in 1947, beginning in 1947, and first of all, with British Empire protection, you know, but they did this. And then in 1948, Israeli historians, Israeli historians, Jewish Israeli historians have shown without a doubt that the expulsion of the Palestinians was persistent, it was pervasive, it was cruel, it was murderous, and with deliberate attempt. So... That's what's called the Nakba in Arabic, the disaster or the catastrophe. Now in, Israel, now in Canada, there's a law that you cannot deny the Holocaust. I don't believe in such laws, by the way. But in Israel, you're not allowed to mention the Nakba, even though it was at the very basis of the foundation of the state. So once I became aware of all this, I was... Okay, well, yeah, we created this beautiful dream, but we imposed a nightmare on somebody else. And then I visited the occupied territories, Russell, during the first Intifada. I cried every day for two weeks at what I saw. The brutality of the occupation, the petty harassment, the murderousness of it, the burning down of Palestinian or cutting down of Palestinian olive groves, the denial of water rights, the humiliations, 
And this went on, and it's much worse now than it was then. So this is the background. And it couldn't have been in any other way. Because again, you couldn't have created that exclusive Jewish state without oppressing or expelling the local population. It's the, long, it's the longest ethnic cleansing operation in the 20th and 21st centuries. It's still going on. And who are these people in Gaza? Now you have to go to Gaza. You have to go there to really appreciate it. It's a small area where there are these multiple hundreds of thousands of people. Who are those people? The direct children or grandchildren of the people that are expressed from Israel or what is not Israel. Now here's the outrage. And I'd like to use Zionist friend in the States to tell me this. I, as a Jew, I could land in Tel Aviv tomorrow and demand citizenship under the right law of the right of return. But my Palestinian friend in Vancouver, Hannah Kawas, who was born in Jerusalem, can't even visit. So what sense does it know? So who, are, who is Gaza? This desperate, blockaded, uh, let me stop again. Am I talking too long about this? I'm sorry. I just, this is so important to me and I know so much about it that I, I don't even know where to stop. So then you have these miserable people packed into this horrible, people call it the world's largest outdoor prison, which is what it is. Incredible poverty, 50% unemployment. Now Hamas is an Islamic organization that was originally encouraged by Israel and supported by Israel as a counterweight to the secular Palestine Liberation Organization, which Israel didn't want to deal with. And given those conditions, of course people will go for extremist leadership. That's what people do when they're miserable and hopeless and deprived of any possibility whatsoever. You don't have to support Hamas policies to stand up for Palestinian rights. That's a complete falsity. But there were free elections in Gaza, monitored by international community. They were declared to be the freest elections ever held in the, in the Arab world. And Hamas happened to win. And when Hamas won that election, Israel and the United States immediately organized their military coup against them which Hamas defeated, for which the punishment was this blockade that deprives Hamas of, not Hamas, but Gaza, of food, of medical supplies, of sufficient water. I could go on and on and on and on. And then you have this conflict. And then every time there's a conflict, Israel mows the lawn. That's the expression they use. You know what they call it? They call it mowing the lawn, by which they mean the mass murder of Palestinian civilians. Now, is it true that, that the Gazans shoot rockets into Israel, killing innocent civilians? Yes, it is. Do I support that? No, I don't. But when it comes to the death of innocent civilians, Israel killed 20,000 Lebanese civilians in 1982 using illegal weapons like cluster bombs in a war that ignores the justification whatsoever. I could go on and on and on and on, except I'll say that the disproportion of power and responsibility and oppression is so markedly on one side that if you take the worst thing you can say about Hamas, multiplied by a thousand times, 
and it still will not meet the Israeli repression and killing and dispossession of Palestinians. If we can, if after 2000 years, we can look for liberation and freedom, why can't the Palestinians? If you look at the Western press, when Hong Kong demonstrators throw stones at the police in Hong Kong, that's considered to be heroism in the American press. When in Myanmar, the demonstrators throw slingshots at the army, at the oppressive army, they're considered to be heroes in the Western press. When Palestinian kids throw stones at the Israeli soldiers, they're called terrorists. And uh, Israel gets away with a lot more without much less criticism in the Western press than any other country. Um, I'll say one more thing. I was recently contacted by a Palestinian woman from Jericho. She runs a program for Palestinian children who spend time in Israeli jails. 14, 15, 16 year olds are jailed for months or years. Sometimes they can't see their families for months. And she, and she runs a program for them. You know what she does? She meditates with them. She does Sufi, Sufi dervish dancing with them, swirling, dancing to bring them out of their stress state. She says, we don't have post-traumatic stress disorder here because the trauma is never post. The trauma is daily, she said. <laughs> yeah. I just wish your Zionist friend would visit the occupied territories in Gaza like I have and let him speak the way he speaks now. He's got any ounce of humanity left. He would cry like I did for two weeks when I was there. Now, we're not living in Nazi Germany. Anybody can go on YouTube and listen to Ilan Pape, an Israeli historian, totally eloquent on Israeli history, who's lived in, living in England now because life became in Israel too difficult for him. Anybody can listen to Norman Finkelstein, a Jewish professor, world expert on Gaza, who was denied ten tenure at his university because of his public speaking against Israeli policy. You can listen to any number of in, uh, Israeli Defense Forces soldiers who talk about the brutality that they now regret having committed. You can listen to Israeli pilots who talk about why they refuse to fly over Gaza because of the atrocities they're made to commit. You can get all the information you want. So if anybody these days doesn't know, it's not because the information is not available. It's not what you know. Is what you could know if you wanted to find out. There are no two sides. I mean, it's always a complex question, but in terms of power and control, and it's pretty straightforward. There was a land with the people living there, and other people wanted it. They took it over, and they continue to take it over, and they continue to do, to discriminate against, oppress, and dispossess that other people. That's what happened, and that's what's happening. Thank you for watching. You can get my book, The Myth of Normal, in hardcover, audio, or ebook by clicking the link below in the description. And thanks again. Okay, Rama, tell us the phone numbers, sweetheart.
720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, everybody, you got that now. So um, we're going to take a little break and go to this uh, conference call. And we'll be back back here at BBS Radio, best radio there is in town. And the next one, and the next one. And so that'll be at the top of the next hour. And so namaste. See you on the conference, everyone.
Hi, Precious Heart. Thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. As the new fifth dimensional solar frequencies of crystal and light flow in through and around every particle and wave of life on Earth, it seems as though the obsolete patterns of separation and duality are becoming more and more prevalent. As these distorted patterns surface around the world to be healed and transmuted back into light, people are responding in a multitude of ways. Because of a lack of understanding, many of their responses are actually exacerbating this purging process. Much of that is due to people's inability to comprehend what the oneness of all life really means. Today, the beings of light are informing us that the powerful eclipse series we will experience this month is providing the masses of humanity with a unique opportunity to comprehend what the oneness of all life means at a very practical level. On October 14th, we will experience a new moon annular solar eclipse. And on October 28th, we will experience a full moon partial lunar eclipse. Due to the quantum shifts that have taken place within our earthly bodies and our 12 fifth dimensional solar strands of DNA so far this year, humanity in mass is in a position to comprehend on a far more conscious level the sacred knowledge being revealed about the oneness of all life. This information is surfacing as an intuitive inner knowing within the hearts and minds of everyone who is willing to pay attention. We are being told by the beings of light that the frequency of light that will bathe the earth through the portal of this eclipse series will raise the consciousness of the masses and enhance humanity's ability to comprehend the practical application of the oneness of all life. This will provide the I am presence of every person on earth with the ability to guide us through the next step of our awakening process. Awakening humanity knows that the purging taking place is an essential part of Mother Earth's ascension process. On one hand, millions of people are already invoking the light in powerful ways that will help the Earth and all her life to move through this part of the divine plan more quickly. However, on the other hand, our sisters and brothers in the family of humanity who are still asleep and those who are deliberately resisting moving forward in the light are responding from their basest fears. These souls are lashing out at every person and everything that they perceive is different from them or disagrees with their belief systems. Their fear is intensifying the us versus them illusions 
which have created so much of the pain and suffering for humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth. This destructive and polarized thinking is now creating painful stumbling blocks for people as they strive to awaken and move forward in the light. One of the most important things, the sacred knowledge within our fifth dimensional DNA is confirming is that there is no such thing as us and them. This profound truth from our Father, Mother, God is awakening in every person's heart flame. The inner knowing that every single person, place, condition, and thing in the whole of creation is interrelated, interconnected, and interdependent. With every breath we take, this sacred knowledge is intuitively reminding us that it is impossible to harm any other person or part of life without our negative behavior reflecting back and harming us. In most instances, unawakened humanity is oblivious of this truth. This is why the company of heaven is invoking our assistance during this powerful eclipse series. The beings of light are asking if you and I and the rest of awakening humanity are willing to hold this sacred space for our sisters and brothers who are not yet able to intuitively comprehend the oneness of all life. If your answer is yes, during the October Eclipse series, we will be given unique opportunities in alignment with both our individual and our collective light work to exponentially empower our ability to be the open door for this facet of the divine plan. The beings of light have said the people who are acting out in the most deplorable ways are acting out of fear. They are terrified because they realize that the awakening that is happening on earth will not only eliminate their ability to abuse their power, but also their ability to manipulate and control the masses. They are so buried in their own painful miscreations that they are not paying attention to the sacred knowledge being revealed through their own intuitive inner knowing. If they were paying attention, they would know that the earth and all life are ascending into a new solar earth's fifth dimensional frequencies of divine love, oneness, and reverence for all life, which will be a glorious experience for them and every other person 
on this planet. The company of heaven said that in the present chaotic environment, the fastest way for our asleep and resistant sisters and brothers to be able to comprehend the oneness of all life on a practical level through their own intuitive knowing is for you and me and the rest of awakening humanity to flood them with so much love that their I am presence will be able to lift their heads above the mud puddle of their human miscreations. The company of heaven is inspiring every awakened son and daughter of God to listen to our heart's call. We are being assured that the entire company of heaven is standing in readiness to respond to our heartfelt pleas on behalf of our sisters and brothers in the family of humanity. This will be true with every facet of our light work throughout the month of October, whether we are flooding these precious souls with our Father, Mother, God's love during our daily individual light work or our collective light work when we gather in groups. Each of us have been training for lifetimes in unique ways to love life free during this critical time in Mother Earth's ascension process. This month, we are being encouraged by our godparents to reach into the very depths of our heart flames and to tap into the unique ways we have learned to love our struggling sisters and brothers free. So go within, pay attention, and know your time is at hand. Dear one, the company of heaven is embracing you in their eternal gratitude for your willingness to be such a powerful force of light on this sweeter. God bless you, and I look forward to being with you next week. self-love meditation releasing the judgments opinions and projections of others and 
coming to your center with your breath, coming to your center with your breath, open body, open mind. your breath inviting the light from the universe around you 360 degrees into all cells of your body and anywhere you're holding lower end use it can be released at this stage on the out breath release back to the universe back to the universe allowing more light into your field. On the in-breath, inviting light from the horizon 360 degrees into the bones of the body. All joints or vertebrae. And on the out-breath, release anything you're holding in the bones of your body back to the light. Let's call your team and spirit at the highest light and resonance, your highest self. I am presence, the Obersoul. All angels, archangels, guides, helpers, teams in spirit working with you. Healing teams, ascension teams, any star races, any star councils working with you. Elohim, Seraphim, come be with you now. Come be with you now. Angels of the horizontal plane in the east, Raphael, Archangel of Air, Raphael of Emerald Green Fire, invite that energy into your space. And to the south, Michael of the Elements of Fire. And the energy is electric blue fire. Invite that energy into your space. To the west is Gabriel Archangel of Water. The energy of this angel is diamond white fire. Invite that energy into your space. And the fourth angel of the horizontal plane is Uriel of Earth. The energy is ruby red fire. Invite that energy into your space. Four archangels, four energies, and open, open, open.
and also inviting the vertical plane, Metatron and Sandophon. Metatron, Archangel of the Central Sun, the Great Central Sun. Sandophon, Archangel of the Crystalline Grid of the Earth. Feel your connection to heaven and earth. Open the inner channel. Opening your connection to the sun and the great central sun. And deepening your connection to the crystalline grid of the earth and open. Feeling six archangels around you, holding the space and your team in spirit. And begin. Let's invite any negative or limiting messages you received from your mother, your mother in this lifetime, which can be transmitted through words, tone of voice, facial expression, body language, or even through silence. Become aware of any thoughts and feelings in your body you're holding because of your mother's communication to you. Just becoming aware of that in your body, those places where you're holding perhaps lower thoughts or feelings. Embracing those energies, those patterns for now, embracing them. Embracing is the first step of transmutation. inviting the memories of any negative or limiting messages from your father which can be transmitted to you through words tone tonal voice facial expression body language or through projected energy through silence anywhere in your body you're holding lower thoughts and feelings in your body and just coming to awareness of where in the body you hold these thoughts feelings these patterns embracing them 
to invite the archangels and your team in spirit, all beings and angels of love to begin to transmit love deep into these lower emotional and mental patterns you're holding in the body and in your energy fields. Open now to receive a transmission of love from the angels, archangels, your team and spirit, dissolving any limits of love placed on you. All limits are artificial. Expanding your capacity to feel love, feel love, and therefore radiate love. Open your heart to the love all around you now. child of the universe you are connected to the web of life you belong here you are loved you are love just allow a transmission deep into the body deep into the energy field and open and soften and relax And as that's happening, bring to mind any messages or judgments or opinions you've received from friends, colleagues, bosses, teachers, perhaps spiritual teachers or gurus. Begin to embrace those energies in your body, any toxic or stuck energies. Allow a transmission of love deep into these patterns, these emotional and mental patterns, dissolving these belief systems, these stories, these limits on love. Expanding your ability to feel love and receive love. Open your heart to this transmission of love.
You are a child of the universe. You are connected to the web of life. You belong here. You are loved. You are love. And as that's happening, bring to mind any media messages you received or online judgments or anything of a political or legal nature or religious or moral nature. Anywhere you're holding in your body, any collective judgments around what's right, what's wrong. How men should be, how women should be or not be. class judgments, any racial judgments, any superior or inferior judgments or opinions you've received anywhere. Become aware in your body of any lower frequency patterns in your body or energies or thoughts or feelings which are stuck. Imagine embracing them. Allow a transmission of love into all of these places, all of these patterns, all of these stuck thoughts or feelings in the body. transmission to release any toxic or stuck energies. Dissolving all artificial limits on love. Expanding your capacity to feel and receive love. Opening your heart to love. Sending it deep into the body, deep into your auric field. Releasing the lower, allowing in a higher transmission of light. You're a child of the universe. You're connected to the web of life. You belong here. You are loved. You are love. And breathe. third layer is the layer of the inner critic. The inner critic internalizes all of these external judgments from family, from peers, bosses, from the collective consciousness. Let's invite now the critic inside of you, that part that's always talking to you about what's wrong with you, where you're not enough, where you're not clever enough or good looking enough or talented enough perhaps. 
or you're the wrong class or race or gender or sexual orientation or the wrong weight. Perhaps the message is you're flawed, you do not deserve, you are not loved by anyone. Let's invite now the inner critic. The inner critic and its conversation to you is usually mostly unconscious. Allow that conversation to become more conscious. Bring to awareness any lower thoughts or feelings or patterning the critic is holding and transmitting to you unconsciously, just below the level of your consciousness. conversation of toxic or stuck energies. Open now to our transmission of love into the inner critic. Beginning to dissolve and expand all emotional and mental patterning. Expanding any limits placed on love. All limits are artificial. transmission to expand your capacity to feel and receive love and therefore radiate love. Open your heart to the love all around you. are a child of the universe connected to the web of life. You belong here, you are loved, you are love. And open and receive and breathe. releasing the lower and inviting in the higher energies of love. Allowing this love into all layers, levels, dimensions of the physical body. Allow that transmission of love deep into the chakra system. emotional body and deep into the mental body allow this transmission of love into all layers levels dimensions of your physical emotional mental and spiritual bodies
You are love. You are loved. You are love. Receive love. Open to love. And begin to radiate love into your reality. transmission of love to continue through your being, continue through your being, throughout your day or throughout the dream time. This meditation is offered to you as always with love and blessings, love and blessings. servants of peace we all are yes we are Greetings, Mother. In the light of the most radiant one, in the office of the Christ, and only in the office of the Christ, we invoke loving energies of Saint Germain. We ask at this time for deeper insight, wisdom, mercy, compassion for all that can be, for all within and without to be well, to know the truth and let it set us free. <laughs> and indeed, 
We are the ones we've been waiting for, Mother, and I'm passing this talking stick to you on that note. Greetings. Greetings, children of Ra. Happy New Moon. Yes. Energies are as high as cosmic law will allow. Everything is being turned over like the rotor tiller. Time to plant new stuff. <laughs> we are in the fifth dimension. And still, the walking dead seem to be the order of the day. <laughs> what a challenge. They don't even know they're dead. And it is our mission to send more love like these folks been talking about. It's how we get through the keyhole that's as large as a black hole. <laughs> and love is the answer. It has always been so. Mm. It is most auspicious time to be alive. Mm. Might call me crazy. Call you crazy, mother? To say it is the best time to be here. And it is because we are the ones. It is this moment that is so magical with what is happening. Hmm. Last time around when this stuff occurred, hmm. The people were not quite ready for mm. what's rapidly unfolding. The transfiguration of the sun and us too. It goes together. We are plasma, the sun is plasma. Every 
everything that is taking place right now. is part of this great shift that the force in of itself made happen so we could all participate in this grand soiree of lifting the light higher even as Patty calls them, our wayward sisters and brothers, our wayward children, who know the last bus to Dracos is here. <laughs> it's what has to occur in order to bring collective closure to what's transpiring right now. It's a big story, very big. And It has spanned eons upon eons of time to get to this place today as this light that is pouring in has made its permanent mark, you could say, on the way things are. Venus comes into play today. 13 is part of Venus energy. And what's taking place Happy birthday, Mother. Oh, oh, thank you. It's, let's say, everyone is experiencing the upliftment of what Lady Master Venus brings in. It's this shift. The war consciousness has to be put out the window. It's not serving anything or anyone. Mm-mm. And our wayward children know their time's up. Can't play any more war games on the planet as desperate as they are to this last minute. That's what they would like to do, are doing. 
and in the same breath, the light that's pouring in is causing them to freak out more and more. Like Patty described, they are uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's a fact that as change happens, and as you resist, it's going to get hotter in the kitchen. It's part of what has to take place. They've called it in. And we will follow suit in the process of balance in this story of the return of the 42 principles of Lady Master Ma'a higher attributes love is the answer to all situations going on. And right now, What's happening is this great shift as the people of planet Earth. The line has been, let's say, nowhere to go but As we go through this eclipse, focus on the balancing energies that they're being brought through with the different aspects of the planets that are coming into view. Pluto has to do what he does best. Put on his cloak of invisibility and turn out everything that has been in the underworld, Venus, completes her journey. Pluto takes her into the underworld 
as fall turns to winter, then Venus, Persephone, returns with the return of the sun, spring. Mm -hmm. These cycles of what's unfolding as Earth transcends into higher realms. It is a chance for us to go deep into this magical piece of work here. Mm. Can't do better than this. Yes, android hands can be manifested but the best thing going is what you got right here. The living cells. Can't put a price on it. That's why we got to keep it intact. As we keep saying, we ain't going anywhere. We're here mm -hmm. for the duration. These bodies are supposed to last how many thousands of years or so? And what is this but a learning curve in quantum physics of how as we learn the Raja Yoga of becoming a particle in the eye of the universe and also becoming a whole galaxy, so to speak. It's part of this cosmic story that we're all involved in up to our crown chakras it's a very big deal as we work with the violet flame and the emerald green ray all the colors of the rainbow in what's unfolding right now in the Middle East. So much energy being focused there as we go through this eclipse. There are many messages being brought forth through this portal work with the light that never fails. It's how we lift each one of us up. This is the challenge. And like, hmm, 
sister, Sweet Angelique the cat, said this completion of this right now is what's unfolding. It's part of our experience as we ascend being asked to be part of this for better for worse as the saying goes. Hmm. Everything that is taking place in this great circle of life is about this moment called ascension. And right now, send more love to the situations at hand. We will be on our way. We know you have a lot to share with this stuff that's happening. My mother. As you listen to Amy and the stories, mm. send more love. It is what's transpiring on the planet as we heal this. This place here, most unique place called the cradle of civilization, not just what they call Judea, Israel, Palestine, the whole of this area, the Middle East, Fertile Crescent. It's where we began this story with seeding life forms after the so-called cataclysm that was conveniently engineered. Uh, it all returns to that place and it is being transformed, transfigured right now. This is no accident that the king calls this guy up to say the admiral is back. <laughs> Many others talking about it too. It is this time that all the ancient teachers, masters, heroes, 
of your legends and stories are not just figments of your imagination. They're absolutely real. Mm-hmm. I walked the planet with you. Embrace them with grace and dignity, beauty, respect. This story is this word, respect for all life in the circle of life. It's how we go to the next evolutionary leap in consciousness. And just meditate on the idea of becoming a physical son. That's where we came from. It's where we're returning to. Greetings in the light of the most radiant one. Kadosh, 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 Adonai Sabayot. Kadosh, 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 Adonai Sabayot. Kadosh, 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 Adonai Sabayot. Yahu, Yahu, Yahu. Yod he, bold he, Yava. Remember who you are. Aloha, Mother. We'll give us a bit of a moment here. For the transfer of mother taking on the next thing in her mission and Rama's coming back as well. say everybody is it's not a drill it's red alert <laughs> and uh, everybody is some um, let's just say at their stations was what they need to do mm-hmm. justice seasoned with mercy and just Justice served with mercy and compassion. Indeed. This is how it gets done. Everybody's on the edge of their seats as far as I can feel. I know. I 
Car le serment va.
It was my sister's wedding and we were making sweets when the airstrike started. So we left the house. We were packed on top of each other in the car and we drove directly to the school here. But living in the school is not nice. And my uncle went back to the house and they bombed it while he was there and he was killed. Health officials in Gaza say at least 1,500 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli strikes, including 500 children. Israel reports it dropped 6,000 bombs on Gaza during the first six days of the assault. Hospitals are overwhelmed with the wounded and dead and increasingly rationing fuel to operate life-saving medical equipment. Human Rights Watch has confirmed reports of Israel firing white phosphorus munitions during attacks on Gaza and along its border with Lebanon. White phosphorus poses a high risk of excruciating burns and lifelong suffering. Its use as an incendiary weapon in civilian areas is a war crime. Israel denies using white phosphorus. Israel previously used white phosphorus in attacks on the Gaza Strip, including in 2009. Thousands of residents of southern Lebanon have fled their homes near Israel's border amidst fears that cross-border skirmishes between Israel and Lebanese militants could escalate into a war. The exodus continued Thursday as Iran's foreign minister, Hossein Amir Abdullahanin, traveled to Beirut, where he met with Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah. Iran has warned the war risks spreading to other fronts if Israel keeps bombing Gaza. Hamas's armed wing, the Al-Qassam Brigade, says 13 of the hostages it took during its weekend attack in southern Israel were killed by Israeli strikes on Gaza over the past day. Meanwhile, Israeli relatives of those slain and kidnapped by Hamas are reeling from the ongoing tragedies. This is Anat Moshe Shoshani, whose grandfather was killed and grandmother taken hostage by Hamas during a raid on their home at their near Oz kibbutz. She's a 72 years old woman. She's sick. She has heart issues. She watched her husband die right in front of her. And right after, they got her on the motorcycle. And she had to hold the terrorist that just murdered her, her husband. They were together for over 50 years. They build the kibbutz with their own hands. Hamas has killed over 1,300 Israelis and taken about 150 hostages. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited Jordan today for talks with King Abdullah and Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas. Blinken will also visit Qatar, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates and Egypt over the weekend as he looks to secure the immediate release of hostages held by Hamas. His trip came after U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said the Pentagon is not placing any conditions on its weapons shipments to Israel. This is a professional military uh, led by professional leadership, and we would uh, hope and expect that uh, they would uh, do the right things in the prosecution of their of their campaign. Austin spoke Thursday from NATO headquarters in Brussels. Today, he's in Tel Aviv, where he pledged ironclad U.S. support for Israel during a press conference with Defense Minister Yoav Gallant. 
The French government has banned all rallies in response to the Israeli bombardment and total blockade of Gaza. On Thursday, police in Paris used tear gas and water cannons against pro-Palestine protesters who gathered despite the prohibition. Unfortunately, we were not able to protest properly because the demonstration was banned, while those in favor of the Israeli cause were authorized. This is not normal under the rule of law. In the United Kingdom, activists have vowed to take legal action if officials ban the Palestinian flag. British Home Secretary Suella Braverman has urged police forces to use the full force of the law against protesters waving the Palestinian flag, which she said may not be legitimate if it's found to be a sign in support of, quote, terrorism. In Australia, human rights defenders are warning of the government's escalating repression against actions in support of Palestine. New South Wales Acting Police Commissioner Dave Hudson said officers won't need a reasonable cause to search protesters who attend marches planned in Sydney this weekend. I urge people considering entering the city on Sunday to reconsider. There are a number of peaceful alternatives for people um, to voice their opinion in relation to the conflict that's currently going on in Israel and Gaza. Here in New York, Columbia University closed its campus to the public Thursday in response to two separate demonstrations led by pro-Palestine and pro-Israel student groups. In Massachusetts, the names and photos of several Harvard students who signed a pro-Palestinian letter were displayed on a billboard truck on campus Wednesday with a banner that read Harvard's leading anti-Semites. Some of their names and personal information were also posted online. They were doxxed. That action was organized by the ultra-conservative nonprofit Accuracy in Media. The U.S. House of Representatives remains without a speaker. On Thursday, Republican Congress member Steve Scalise dropped out of the race to replace the ousted speaker, Kevin McCarthy, after 16 Republicans said they would not vote for Scalise. Supporters of Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan are rallying to shift their party support to Jordan, who founded the far-right House Freedom Caucus and currently chairs the Judiciary Committee. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre addressed the congressional turmoil Thursday. What we're seeing is certainly shambolic chaos that we're seeing over there on the other side of Pennsylvania Avenue, and they need to get their act together. There's a lot of work that needs to be done on behalf of the American people. It looks like former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is also back in the running for his old seat. House legislative business is at a standstill until a new speaker is elected. This includes a bill to keep the government open beyond November 17th and military funding for Israel and Ukraine. Prosecutors have announced an additional corruption charge against New Jersey Democratic Senator Bob Menendez and his wife, Nadine. The superseding indictment accuses the couple of conspiring to have the senator act as an unregistered agent of the Egyptian government while Menendez was chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. The indictments allege Menendez worked to aid Egyptian officials by ghostwriting a letter to fellow senators urging they lift a hold on $300 million of U.S. military aid to Egypt. Menendez is also accused of passing along classified information to Egyptian officials, including details about employees at the U.S. Embassy in Egypt. In Colorado, an Aurora jury convicted police officer Randy Redima of criminally negligent homicide while acquitting officer Jason Rosenblatt in the 2019 killing of Elijah McClain. 
23-year-old McLean, a black man, was walking home from a store when he was tackled by police, placed in a carotid hold, and later injected with a powerful sedative ketamine. Elijah's outraged mother, Shanine McLean, told reporters as she left the courtroom, quote, this is the divided states of America, and that's what happens, unquote. Sentencing for Redeemer scheduled for January faces up to three years in prison. A third officer and two paramedics have also been charged and are awaiting trial. And talks between striking actors and Hollywood studios have been suspended as the two parties remain at loggerheads. sag after said it was presented with an offer that was, quote, shockingly worthless, worth less than they proposed before the strike began, unquote. Unionized actors said they will continue fighting for a fair contract despite the setback. This is negotiating committee member Jason George. Look, we're storytellers, so this is the part of the movie where the hero gets knocked down and you think they're out. And this is the part where you double down and you come back and win the day. We all know that and we all believe that in our hearts. So, look, we're actors. We get rejected multiple times a day. We get rejected for stuff we didn't even know we were up for. So our ability to withstand rejection, to withstand adversity, and to stay resilient is more than I would say virtually anybody else in this town. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We begin today's show in Gaza, where Israel last night ordered the evacuation within 24 hours of all Palestinians living in the northern Gaza Strip, some 1.1 million people within 24 hours. The United Nations has condemned the order, saying it's, quote, impossible for such a movement to take place without devastating humanitarian consequences, unquote. Much of Gaza is already in the dark as Israel's cut off energy, food and water supplies. The seven day Israeli bombardment has killed at least 1500 Palestinians. Israel declared war after Saturday's surprise brutal attack by Hamas militants on Israel where the death toll has reached 1300. Israel's now amassing tanks on the border of Gaza ahead of what appears to be an imminent ground invasion. Some 400,000 Palestinians had already been displaced prior to Israel's evacuation order last night. Some groups have announced plans to defy Israel's order. The Palestinian Red Crescent Society said, quote, despite the occupation's threats to shell, the decision has been made. We did and will not leave. Our medics will carry on their humanitarian duties. We won't leave people face death alone, unquote. Many in Gaza fear Israel's evacuation order is the start of a second Nakba. 75 years ago in 1948, some 700,000 Palestinians fled from or were violently expelled from their homes upon Israel's founding in 1948. Much of Gaza's population are refugees from families displaced 75 years ago. We begin today's show with Mohammed Shahada a writer and analyst from Gaza, chief communications uh, at Euro Mediterranean Human Rights Monitor, columnist at the Forward newspaper, Jewish Weekly in New York. He's joining us from Copenhagen. Um, Mohammed, welcome to Democracy Now! Can you describe what's happening on the ground and first respond to this order um, from the Israeli government that half the population of Gaza 1.1 million people must leave the north and head south. And they gave them 24 hours last night to do it. Yes, um, thanks, Amy. I've been through at least six Israeli military operations or even more. This is like nothing I've ever seen in my entire life and nothing like Gaza has ever seen in terms of magnitude, scale, level of destruction and death. Entire neighborhoods are totally unrecognizable. With the evacuation orders, it's basically plain 
and and very obvious forcible transfers. And it's most important thing about it is that it's unimplementable. If you know Gaza geographically and physically and the devastation of infrastructure there, you would know that most roads are broken. There's vast electricity, internet outages. People are not getting any news. At the same time, the area that Israel wants people to go out of is the most densely populated part of Gaza and the area with the most safe shelters, these UN schools, although not very safe because Israel bombed a lot of them in over the last six days. But it's the area with the most UN schools. It's the area with the most hospitals. And right now you have over 7,000 Palestinians wounded in Al-Shifa Hospital and other hospitals around Gaza, around the area that Israel wants him to evacuate from. So by the mere act of evacuation, many people are going to lose their lives. The other issue is that there are not enough houses, not enough spaces or shelter in the south of Gaza that Israel wants to push people towards to be in. The only realistic outcome of this is that we're going to have people just literally baking in the sun in 30 degrees Celsius temperature, about 85 degrees Fahrenheit daily in the sun in the street without any access to hospitals, any access to food or water, let alone the sheer terror of Palestinians experiencing a second Nakba. Many people there are saying we're not leaving our homes. The Palestinian Red Crescent said we refuse to evacuate because we're not gonna let our people face death alone. At the same time, I'm aware that there is some pressure from European officials and the Israeli government discreetly to sort of backtrack this decision. But they are telling me quite obviously that it's unlikely they would have much influence on Israel without the US coming on board. And until now, the Biden administration hasn't made its mind up about an event that's way, way more horrendous than the Palestinian Nakba. You're talking almost about double the amount of Palestinians that were displaced in 1948, just gone in 24 hours. We've been trying to reach guests in Gaza, and we're not able to make any connection at this point. Mohammed Shahada, if you could explain more the conditions on the ground and the significance, as I listened last night to the general uh, director of the Palestine Red Crescent Society say, how do we move people out of hospitals with this short amount of time, not to mention more than a million people? Yes, so before the evacuation orders, almost everyone I know in Gaza, they say our knees cannot lift us up. They haven't had any sleep for more than two to three hours a night, punctuated by constant military airstrikes, because Israel dropped up until yesterday about 6,000 bombs in Gaza. In six days, that's about a bomb every one and a half minutes. Every single neighborhood in Gaza was damaged. Every single street area, all the famous sites are completely gone, pulverized. At the same time, I took the last time I talked to people was this morning. I talked to at least two to three people and I lost them as I was talking with them on the line because of airstrikes or running out of electricity and internet. Israel bombed Gaza's main telecommunication company on the third or fourth day of this escalation, bombed it completely, leading to outages in vast areas of Gaza. And the last time I talked to someone, the last one I spoke to is a Gazan Irish citizen. He holds Irish citizenship, European. And he was telling me basically this, I only have a few liters of water in my home for a family of six. I don't know where am I gonna go. I have a few batteries and they're running out of power. 
And he doesn't know if he's going to stay alive. Most people I know in Gaza are uploading, literally uploading their wills and last words to their social media accounts and begging for forgiveness from anyone that they've ever wronged or done anything to and saying, please forgive us and we forgive you as well. This is what it has come down to. Former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett exploded at a Sky News anchor, Kamali Melbourne, during an interview Thursday after Melbourne pressed Bennett on Israel's attacks on Palestinian civilians. Here's a portion of the exchange. What about those Palestinians in hospital who are on life support and babies and incubators whose life support and incubator will have to be turned off because the Israelis have cut the power to Gaza? Are you seriously keep on asking me about Palestinian civilians? What's what's wrong with you? Have you not seen what happened? We're fighting Nazis. We don't target them. Now, the world can come and bring them anything they want. If you want to bring them electricity, I'm not going to feed electricity or water to my enemies. If anyone else wants, that's fine. We're not responsible this is, for this. This is the point. But you this keep is on, the point. You, no, no, I, no, I want to tell you, no, no, listen, no, listen, you listen no, to me right now. I've heard you to, enough. No, no, I understand. I, I, I we're trying to have a conversation you. here. Listen, this no, is my you're, program. You're, you're this is my show. Guy. And I am asking the questions. You're raising your voice. And I've asked you, and we've already, we've already stopped, please. And let me finish. We've already distinguished between Hamas. I want to tell you, you're trying to speak over me. We are not Shame on you. It's nothing about pre- shame. We're trying to have a conversation about a very serious situation because, here, and you are refusing you to address it. That's Sky News anchor um, Melbourne uh, challenging the former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, who said to him, You're daring to ask me about Palestinian civilians? Mohammed Shahadi, your response. Well, I'm afraid that this is now becoming a mainstream sentiment in Israel and not just in Israel, amongst official European and American uh, leaders and in the media as well. If you've been looking at what Israeli politicians are saying about two days ago, an Israeli lawmaker, senior one um, in the ruling coalition, Limor Son Harmelech, she wrote on Twitter saying, quote, there are no innocents in Gaza, flat in Gaza, quite literally, very openly. Now we have the, the architect, the godfather of the Israeli judicial coup or judicial overhaul, Sam Harotman, is now saying that the main goal of this operation is that a Jewish kid can walk freely in Gaza alone if there would be a Gaza at all. So this sentiment is shared widely. But what I find most striking are two things. Number one, European diplomats in the occupied territories are telling me that their leaders, their bosses, their foreign ministries for the last at least five to six days were not bringing Gaza up to their Israeli counterparts at all. That's the same with the U.S. government. They're not bringing what's Israel's conduct in Gaza at all, aside from the issue of the humanitarian corridor. This might change now with the forcible transfer of 1.1 million people. But at the same time, this level of complicitness I've never seen before. And it's the same with mainstream media. I've seen circulation of allegations that were completely debunked of extreme horrendous atrocities like mass rapes and decapitation of babies being taken at face value by virtually all the mainstream media circulating immediately and without the slightest work of journalistic integrity or investigation, although it was later debunked. And at the same time, when we have Human Rights Watch coming out yesterday and saying we have solid evidence of Israel using phosphorus munition 
on Gaza's civilian population that's a chemical incendiary weapon that burns on immediate and ignites an immediate impact with oxygen and it burns flesh and bone and it, it cannot be turned off and the toxic fumes of it can be lethal and can cause respiratory permanent respiratory damage. Human Rights Watch who says Israel is using it, this is a war crime and virtually not a single mainstream media speaking up and reporting on this. So it, it's unimaginable the level of complicitness that I see in this round of escalation. Nobody is calling for de-escalation or ceasefire, not even a humanitarian ceasefire. Although they did that in the last major war on Gaza 2014, that was the United Nations and the US. They had a humanitarian ceasefire for 72 hours. But this time there's not even any talk about it, not even a thought for it. And that I find most frightening. I get a lot of questions from my colleagues, family and people I love in Gaza asking, are we gonna stay alive? One of my friends, she says, I just gave birth about a month ago. My baby is clinging to me. I'm afraid if he's gonna die from a heart attack from the airstrikes and fear and terror. At the same time that she's afraid that her husband might get killed or taken away from her if there is a ground invasion. At the same time that she's afraid that she's gonna end up permanently a refugee in the Sinai desert. These Things are unimaginable horrors that are inflicted on Gaza right now with no one intervening to stop it. This is pure madness. Uh, on CNN last night, his former military Israeli analyst uh, said it, um, our goal isn't turning Gaza city into a parking lot. Our goal is to turn Gaza into a Hamasless region. Uh, Mohammed Shahada, if you can respond in this last answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As I said, Israeli leaders, politicians and members of the ruling coalition are openly admitting that the goal is flattening Gaza. Simha Rotman, that's, as I said, he's the architect, the chief architect of the Israeli judicial overhaul. He's one of the top lawmakers in the Israeli ruling coalition. And he's saying openly, the goal is that a Jewish Israeli kid can walk in and out freely if there would be a Gaza at all. He's admitting it very openly. And I've seen the sentiment not just from Israeli politicians, but from Israeli media as well, from Israeli pundits, analysts and commentators. Voices of reason in Israel are now becoming a shunned minority. Many of them are afraid to speak up because now the atmosphere is so hostile, so polarized and toxic and dehumanizing for people in Gaza that whenever Gaza is brought up, the only thing that's brought up with it is Nazis. Can you imagine if any person in, in Gaza would refer to Israel as such, how many condemnations would be poured on their heads immediately? Mohammed Shahada, I wanna thank you so much for being with us, usually based uh, in Palestine, in Gaza, uh, writer and analyst, chief Com communications at Euro Mediterranean Human Rights Monitor, columnist for the Forward newspaper, Jewish Weekly here in New York. As we turn right now to Spenkin van Birdsdorf, a former EU European Union ambassador to the occupied Palestinian territory served in that post up until July. Your response to this order uh, by the Israeli military that half the population of Gaza must move within a 24 hour period starting last night from the north to the south. Sven Hun van Bergstorff. Yeah, thank you, Ms. Goodman. And of course, uh, I can fully second uh, what um, Mohammed Shahada has so well described as the absolute catastrophe which um, um, two million Gazans are facing. 
Um, let me start by saying um, I'm fully aware of this deep hate and frustration and despair which befell the Israeli society. And when they speak of their 9-11, of what happened last Saturday, I understand, of course, that view and that emotional tension they are under right now. And that makes it so difficult to have a rational discussion, not only in Israel, but also in Europe and in the U.S. But we have to be aware that we still are governed by international law. We haven't, we have left the medieval times. We have rules of conduct for war. We have rules of conduct of how apply humanitarian principles. And no matter what Hamas did, it does not justify the incredible use of lethal force without distinction and without proportionality as far as the Palestinian population is concerned in Gaza. Distinction, proportionality, and precaution are sacrosanct principles for the code of conduct of armed hostilities. And Israel, as a democracy, cannot escape that and has to be held accountable. It cannot be that Israel has a carte blanche because terrible acts, brutal, gruesome acts, happened to 1,000 or even 1,200 Israelis. That is not the excuse you can use to flatten Gaza. And let me come back to the point of um, what you exactly ask. The announcement of the IDF to basically forcibly evict more than one million Gazans from their homes in the northern part of the Strip is likely to be criticized by international legal experts as a war crime if there is no provision made for ensuring humanitarian access and exit and the necessary facilities to accommodate the basic human rights to water, energy, food, and physical safety, let alone health. And this is also clearly signed in all international conventions Israel has ratified and is accountable to. So it is unexcusable if the international community does not use its pressure point to hold Israel to account to what they have pledged before the international community uh, to respect. I understand the emotions. They are very high right now in Israel. I'm in retirement right now in France, so I'm not more on the post. But I can understand that. But as I said, we all have to uphold international law, international humanitarian law, and international human rights law. That is the yardstick. That is the most important measure of conduct for all of us. I want to turn to Ursula Gertrude van der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, who arrived in Israel today and played for you a comment she made last year about Russia targeting civilian infrastructure in Ukraine. War crimes, targeted attacks on civilian infrastructure with a clear aim to cut off men, women, children of water, electricity and heating with the winter coming these are acts of pure terror, and we have to call it as such. So the, she's talking about what Russia is doing in Ukraine. Would this also apply to Israel and Palestine? International law applies everywhere. Human rights are universal, indivisible, and inalienable. 
This is the EU position across the world. Let me ask you about a statement by Jan Eglund, the Secretary General of the Norwegian Refugee Council. He's got dozens of workers in Palestine. Um, we just spoke to Yusuf yesterday uh, from the Jabalia refugee camp is where he lives. He came in, talked about the difficulty of even moving to be able to talk to us to find a space that had electricity. Today, we can't reach people in Gaza. But Jan Eglund, the Secretary General of the Norwegian Refugee Council, uh, commented on the Israeli relocation ultimatum of Gaza as a civilian saying, the Israeli military demand that 1.2 million civilians in northern Gaza relocate to its south within 24 hours absent of any guarantees of safety or return would amount to the war crime of forcible transfer. It must be reversed, he said. Um, your response, Van Kuhn, Van Bergsdorf. I fully subscribe to the statement of Jan Eklund. Uh, as an international legal expert, as a political scientist, as a former diplomat and as a human being, there is no doubt that this has to be respected. And by the way, let me just underline this. If Israel decides to close its crossings in Kerem Shalom and in Yeres, Egypt is bound by international law to open its border crossing in Rafah. And it cannot be that Israel threatens to bomb corridors and transports uh, carrying humanitarian uh, facilities and equipment. It cannot be. This is another war crime if that would take place. Egypt also has to ensure that its obligations towards refugees under international law are fully respected. So it's not just ensuring that in the space of the South, if one were actually to displace people, all the facilities are there. Fully knowing, knowing that this amounts already this forced eviction to a war crime, but also the ability for people to be able to exit for humanitarian reasons. This highly dense populated strip in Gaza in the south would also mean for e Egypt to open its borders. And of course, it has community of providing the necessary provisions to facilitate that people can live there again. This can only be a temporary solution. It cannot be that, as Mohammed Shahada said, we are basically witnessing a second Nakba, whereby the entire Gazan population is forcibly evicted from their homeland, which is Gaza, from their homes. And that is also something I think we have clearly to underline when talking to Israel and when engaging with them on finding a solution. Let me just say an important thing right now. The key political measure right now is to de-escalate and stop any further war crime and try to ensure that the people of Gaza are fully safe and protected. And of course, I understand that there's an important issue of freeing the hostages. I don't know whether it's 150 or whatever the number is. But it's very important that this process be done as soon as possible and the negotiations. This is also a very important element which we have to be aware of. So humanitarian access and exit and freeing the hostages and de-escalating are the three key, I think, objectives one has to engage on now. We want to thank you for being with us, Sven Kuhn van Bergstoff, former EU ambassador to the occupied Palestinian territory, served in that post up until July, uh, speaking to us from France.
When we come back, we'll speak with Rabbi David Basur. One of his congregants was killed Saturday uh, in uh, the Hamas attack on one of the kibbutzes where he was living in Israel. And we'll speak with Nora Arakat, Palestinian human rights attorney. Stay with us. That's an anti-fascist, klezmer, folk punk group. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We go now to Seattle, Washington, where we're joined by Rabbi David Basur of Kadima Reconstructionist Community. One of his congregants, Chaim Katzman, died on Saturday in the Hamas attack on the kibbutz where he was living in Israel. Chaim's mother said, quote, I just think it's chilling. My father grew up in Poland. He survived the Holocaust with false papers. My mother was a refugee from Germany who left after Hitler came to power. It's chilling to me that my son died hiding in a closet, she said. The death toll in Israel has now topped 1,300 after Saturday's attack. Meanwhile, the seven-day Israeli bombardment of Gaza has killed at least 1,500 Palestinians. Rabbi David Basur, welcome to Democracy Now! Condolences to you and your whole community. And I say that for Chaim, uh, the PhD student who returned to Israel, lived in uh, kibbutz and was killed on Saturday, um, part of your community, and also um, for what is happening in Gaza, because you are well known for speaking out uh, on behalf of Palestinians as well. Uh, Rabbi Basur, tell us about... Uh, um, Chaim Katzman, what happened to him, and what you feel needs to happen right now. Thank you for having me, Amy, um, and thank you for those condolences. Um, Chaim dedicated his dissertation to all life forms that exist between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and so I join in that dedication today um, in speaking with you and your viewers. Um, Chaim was a, uh, a very warm, very, uh, very loving, very humble, and very willing educator and student in our community. Uh, he came to us from Israel, where he grew up, um, and he uh, was in Seattle studying for his PhD. Um, I had a very last-minute opening uh, for a Hebrew teacher in our program for young people, um, and he applied, never having taught young people before and never taught never having taught Hebrew to Americans before. Um, and yet he was willing, he was game, uh, he was creative. Uh, he became beloved over the two and a half years that he worked with us. 
and our young people. I have very fond memories of talking about uh, the politics of the situation with him during the pizza dinner break on Tuesday evenings um, in Seattle um, here on Duwamish land. Um, and he will be missed. Um, I last saw him in 2021 when he came to defend his dissertation um, at the University of Washington. Um, uh, and I learned of his death uh, first thing Sunday morning. And if you can talk about um, what happened on the border, the Hamas attack uh, called the worst mass slaughter of Jews since World War II, and yet why you continue to talk about the end of the occupation and how critical that is, the occupation of Palestinian territories. Yeah, um, thank you, Amy. Um, the uh, the attack against civilian Jews in Israel on Saturday was shocking, um, was terrifying, um, was awful. Um, it uh, it shook many in my community and myself uh, to the core. Many Israelis in my community themselves uh, critical of the Israeli government and the occupation, um, but having family um, throughout throughout the state, uh, myself having friends uh, in the land as well, um, was uh, it was terrible to hear about. Just as I was setting up for Simchat Torah services on Saturday morning, uh, where we then uh, danced around with the Torah. Um, to music similar to Brivola, who we just heard, um, we we did so to sanctify life, and that ultimately is why I have been outspoken um, against the Israeli occupation um, for a few decades now. Um, life is the utmost; it is uh, the most core teaching um, that I have received from my tradition, from my ancestors. Um, the idea that never again means never again for anyone means that uh, in the West Bank and certainly in Gaza right now, where we are on the verge of a complete nightmare, um, must be spoken out against, must be uh, called back toward reason, toward the interdependence, toward the ways in which uh, Jews, Israelis, Palestinians and everyone living in the region, our fates are intertwined. Bombing uh, is bombing all of us, is bombing hope, um, is bombing reason. We need to de-escalate the situation. Um, I can do what I can do from Seattle. We all must uh, move out of hopelessness and into action by either calling our representatives, by coming together, by reaching out to Palestinian friends and the diaspora, um, to reaching out to Jews, Israelis who have friends and family in harm's way. <sighs> the situation has been uh, terrible for many, many years. And the context of the occupation of um, the atrocities from for the last 75 years um, must be reconciled. To face them is not to say um, anyone is bad. No one deserves to be killed. And yet we have to face them. We have to make things right. It is the teaching of the tradition that I came up in and now represent as a rabbi. 
I want to turn uh, to and end with the words of Chaim's brother, Chaim Katzman's brother, Noe Katzman, speaking on CNN. The most important for me, and I think also for my brother, was that his death won't be used to kill innocent people. Um, and sadly, um, my government, our government, my government is using cynically the death of people to just kill like they promised us it was going to bring it's going to bring us um like security but of course it's not security because they always tell us oh that if we're going to kill enough palestinians or they're gonna so it's going to be better for us but of course it never brings us peace and it never brings us better lives it just brings more and more terror and more and more uh, people killed like my brother and i don't want anything to happen to people in gaza like it happens to my brother and I'm sure he wouldn't have any uh, either. So that's my call to my government to stop killing innocent people. And that's not the way that brings us peace and uh, security to people in Israel. That's Noe Katzman, the brother of Chaim, who was killed by Hamas in a closet in his kibbutz on Saturday. Uh, Rabbi David Basur, I want to thank you so much for being with us of the Kadima Reconstructionist Community in Seattle, Washington. Coming up for more on the Gaza crisis, we speak with Nora Erika, Palestinian human rights attorney, back in 20 seconds. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Last night, the Israeli army ordered half the population of Gaza, 1.1 million residents, to evacuate their homes within 24 hours from northern Gaza to the south. And what many Palestinians fear is the start of a second Nakba. The UN said the mass transfer of half of Gaza's population would have devastating humanitarian consequences. This comes as Israel's bombed Gaza for seven straight days, killing at least 1,500 people. Joining us now, Nora Erika, Palestinian human rights attorney, associate professor at Rutgers University, author of Justice for Some, Law and the Question of Palestine. She's speaking to us from Philadelphia. Uh, Nora, if you can respond to this order and what's happening in Gaza. Good morning, Amy, and thank you. Your reporting has been an oasis in a sea of warmongering across mainstream media, for which I have deep contempt at this moment. They have mobilized almost every racial trope of savagery, barbarian. They have built on Islamophobia and the infrastructure of the war on terror to create a common sense logical conclusion that war is inevitable and whatever consequences come out is the fault of Hamas, thereby further blaming the victims for their own killing and massacres. At this point, we have to understand that there is no military solution. There has never been a military solution to this. Hamas cannot be eradicated. As we've seen right now, Palestinians are being killed, pulled from out of the rubble. 
We have not given them hope. I saw a young girl staring in trauma at the screen, her entire family decimated. What will happen to this young girl in 20 years? What will we tell her? That Israel had no choice, that this was your fault, and now your future is to continue to be stuck in an open air prison. There must be hope. And that hope lies in a political solution and in the responsibility of the international community to dismantle an apartheid system, to dismantle prolonged military occupation, the longest in the world, to lift a debilitating siege that has condemned Palestinians to slow death. This is a human made disaster, a catastrophe. According to the World Health Organization, this is not a crisis, it is a humanitarian catastrophe. If we are to create a future, it has to begin and end with a political and diplomatic solution. We have this update, Palestine's Ministry of Health said seven Palestinians have been shot dead by Israeli forces in the occupied West Bank today. Um, 500 Palestinian children have been killed in Gaza and at least Hamas is saying that 13 of the hostages have died in the Israeli airstrikes. These are hostages that Hamas took uh, from the Gaza border. Your response to all? It's devastating, Amy. All of us are watching this. But one of the things that we've been emphasizing is that although what we're seeing is, is devastating, we've also been laying a pathway out of it. While international human rights organizations and Israeli human rights organizations came to near consensus in 2020 that Israel oversees an apartheid system, a crime against humanity. What is the greatest crime that is sustaining this ongoing structure of violence? There should have been mobilization to impose weapons sanctions on Israel, to impose a diplomatic solution, to force Israel in order to dismantle this racist colonial structure that has basically condemned Palestinians to permanent subjugation. It is the failure of the international community to mobilize that has now produced this outcome. It is all of our responsibility. Responsibility. There is blood on all of our hands. And now the way out is not a military solution. We have to de-escalate. There must be a ceasefire. There must be a recognition that Hamas, unlike these awful comparisons to ISIS and Al-Qaeda, is actually a nascent sovereign of the Palestinian people who has only targeted Israel. That gives them the right to use armed force, though that right is not qualified. That right is not, excuse me, unqualified. They cannot use it however which way based on on ongoing trauma and violence, but it must be recognized that as a nascent sovereign, they are representing a Palestinian's people struggle for freedom. And as we've seen from the broad Palestinian public, institutions, civil, civil society organizations, other political parties, they have all insisted that responsibility for this lies on at the feet of Israel. The Haaretz editorial team has also said this lies in the responsibility of Israel. Israel. This is not to say, this is not about finger pointing, nor is it about bean counting the dead. There is tragedy on all sides. But if we are interested, if we are interested in not only ending this particular crisis, but of also achieving a durable, truthful, long-lasting solution, we have to go beyond this moment to dismantle the structures of violence that are sustaining it and creating these tragedies that are hurting everybody and will spill beyond Israelis and Palestinians throughout the region and throughout the world. 
I want to ask you about the White House just saying that Gaza City's evacuation is a tall order. Uh, the Israeli army's call for more than a million people to evacuate North Gaza, a tall order, the White House has said, adding the U.S. understands Israel is trying to give civilians fair warning. Your response, Nora Erica. That is so cynical. That is so cynical and can only be corroborated by an irresponsible media that has failed to show decimation of Palestinian communities, the attack on shelters, the attack on refugee camps. What warnings, to what end? Palestinians have been under siege for 16 years. There are no humanitarian corridors. The one corridor with Egypt was bombed by Israel. The minister of Israeli defense literally said that there will be no there will be no exit, that there will be a siege, that electricity will be cut off, that water will be cut off, that Palestinians are human animals. There has been a priming that all of these mass atrocities will be accepted by a population who will watch it with lament, but think to themselves, but what else was Israel supposed to do? We are all being primed to accept mass atrocities. This historically is the playbook of how genocides happen. What we are seeing is a genocidal campaign. You cannot forcibly transfer 1.1 million Palestinians in a 225 square mile enclosed area. There is nowhere for them to go. The largest hospital, Palestinian hospital, that is literally on life support, no pun intended, to stay functioning is in the north. Where will these Palestinians be treated? What we are seeing is an ongoing shrinking of Palestinian land, is an ongoing is an ongoing campaign to take that land without the people. They want to shrink and concentrate the Palestinians now below Wadi Gaza in, in what is an untenable situation. As much as we think that this is about war, it about war and conflict and perpetual animosities, this is about land and water. And there is only one viable future. We either all live together or we all die together. And despite all of our appeals for us to survive and live together, the international community, mainly the Western governments led by the United States, the European capitals who have already cut off aid to Israel, France, which has banned Palestinian protests, Germany, which has banned Palestinian protests, are intent on a military option where there is no outcome. Military solution will not produce an outcome of a viable future for anybody. You know, I already played this, but I'm going to play a much shorter clip of the former Israeli prime minister, because how significant he is, Naftali Bennett, who's now serving in the army in Gaza, um, exploding at the Sky News anchor Kamali Melbourne when asked about what's happening with Palestinian civilians. What about those Palestinians in hospital who uh, are on life support and babies and incubators whose uh, life support and incubator will have to be turned off because the Israelis have cut the power to Gaza? Are you seriously keep on asking me about Palestinian civilians? Are you seriously asking me about what's happening to Palestinian civilians? The former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett said. Your human rights attorney, Nora Arakat, your response. 
My response is, doesn't have to be based on any expertise in human rights. This is about morality. This is about decency. The fact that Naftali Bennett can get upset about Palestinian civilians and the death of babies in incubators should be indicative to us that Palestinians do not have the same right to survive, that we are not imposed, we are not exacting an equality and, and a respect and a decency for all civilian life. We have set up this situation, Amy. We have set up this situation where Palestinians are expected to die. And what we are seeing in this moment is now an expectation that they can die in mass numbers, that they can die being in, in, in hospitals where they are cut off by electricity, by the, world, by the Middle East only nuclear power. The 11th most powerful military in the world. It's a, the 12th largest military exporter and the United States and the European community is sending them arms. They do not need arms. This is not a security situation. This is not a failure of security. This is a crisis of political will. Nora. This is a, rather than normalize apartheid by inviting Israeli President Isaac Herzog to the Congress, Congress should have mobilized for an immediate imposition of sanctions in order to create a future where all people live, where all of us live, not just some of us. Nora Arakat, we want to thank you for being with us, Palestinian human rights attorney, associate professor at Rutgers University. You just talked about hospitals. Well, this is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. On Thursday, the World Health Organization warned the health system in Gaza is at a breaking point. The WHO said, quote, without the immediate entry of humanitarian aid into Gaza, especially health services, medical supplies, food, clean water, fuel, and non-food items, humanitarian and health partners will be unable to respond to urgent needs of people who desperately need it. Each lost hour puts more lives at risk, they said. We're joined now by Dr. Zahar Salou, president and CEO of Med Global, an international medical nonprofit that provides health care in disaster regions. He's joining us from Chicago. Dr. Salul, we only have three minutes. Can you talk about the situation on the ground, what's possible, what is happening right now um, to the people of Gaza, especially with this demand that half of the population move from north to south? This is including the populations of the hospitals. The situation is beyond catastrophic. I mean, I don't have words to describe what's happening right now. I've been in Ukraine, actually, I just came from Ukraine two weeks ago. Uh, and visited some of the areas that were hit by the Russians. I've been in Syria, I've been in Lebanon, other places. I've been in Gaza four times. But this is the worst I have seen in Gaza. Children are dying unnecessarily because of this bombing. What happened in Israel a week ago should not justify what's happening to the Palestinian children and the women and the elderly right now. And what will happen to the futures? Hospitals are overwhelmed. We have only 2,500 beds in, in Gaza, and right now we have 7,000 critically ill, injured patients in Gaza. I've seen videos yesterday that was forwarded by Dr. Hussam, who works in one of the hospitals in Gaza, where patients are on the floor of the emergency room because there's no enough beds. Every exam bed has three children crying, and many of them are not crying because they are in shock. Doctors and nurses are in shock, not because of the overwhelming patients that are coming to the hospital, but because also they're not sure whether their families are safe or not, or whether they will live for one more day or not. There is 75 attacks, according to the World Health Organization, in the last six days, 
on hospitals, on ambulances that led to 15 medics who were killed and 30 plus who were injured. The situation gonna get worse. That means more innocent people will die unnecessarily. Our hearts and prayers are with the people of Gaza, with the Palestinian people of Gaza, who are not responsible for what happened in Israel. Every loss of life should be treated the same way. And I don't think, I, I, as, a, as a physician, I've been in crisis areas and disasters for the past 12 years. This is the worst I've seen. And I'm really fearful for the Palestinian people and the children that have no connection to what happened in Israel. They're not responsible for what happened in Israel. The situation is beyond catastrophe. And I urge our government, because they are the only party that is able to stop this hell that is raining on Gaza. President Salul, I want to thank you for being with us, President and CEO of Med Global, speaking to us from Chicago. That does it for our show. Democracy Now! is currently accepting applications for a video news production fellow. Learn more at democracynow.org. Democracy Now! is produced with Mike Burke, Renee Feldstein, Augusta, Messiah Rhodes, Nareen Sheikh, Maria Tarasena, Tammy Warrenoff, Tarina Nadura, Sam Malkoff, Tamari Astu, Joe John Hamilton, Robbie Karen, Hani Masood, Sanji Lopez. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks so much for joining us. Amazing, everyone. Amazing. Thank you, Amy. Mm -hmm. All right, you tell me when you're ready, Ron. Oh, okay, I'm ready. All right, tell us what we're going to hear now. This is Mr. Cash speaking on Israel okay. and the situation over there. I see. All yes. right, let's do it. Country supported by one of the most unjust nations. Um, as you know, I work to support Palestinian people, not their government, whatever, for decades, even prior to the start of the Keshwa Nation. I'm aware of their needs and how um, virtually millions have been put in an open prison, called the Gaza Strip or the Bank. You've got to understand, when I look at these pictures, having connections with the Palestinian and Israelis, I want to open another side. I've done this before, if you haven't understood it, you understand. The Israeli businessmen, the Israeli construction companies are rubbing their hands with gold. They're so happy. Every time, every few years, doesn't matter if the Palestinians start to attack or the Israelis start to attack, they suddenly destroy most of the buildings which are built, and most of all these buildings, majority of it comes through the Israeli board, Brazil. So there's an investment of Palestinian slaving outside, sending money to the family to live in this open prison, and then the Israeli businessmen and construction people waiting for it to destroy them. And every time they need a boost in the Israeli economy, they push the government to bomb Gaza, and we send cements, the building construction, and the rest of Israel. Uh, there is a humanitarian side to it, but you got to understand um, there's a lot. I discussed this with a uh, people I've been in the past week. 
And there is a lot of things which has opened up a lot of questions in the situation with Gaza and Palestinians and Israelis. You got to understand is the gun policy of the United States which has created this condition. Gun, arming guns and creating jobs in the United States trying to be a superpower is where it's going to come to an end in 2024-2025. The new technology will bring American superiority to superiority, which means they will have no power. And becomes equal to other nations. You got to understand the what we call cycle of life in Iran during two thousand five hundred years during the Darius time and Kurdish time. Nations became part of Iran. Leaders became, joined the Iranian what we call empire. Not by fighting, by knowing, by joining the nation become peaceful. There is no need for soldiers. There's no need. They can spend, they can allow their citizens to live a normal life. Because the structure was built on the ethos of Mitra and Zoroaster. They brought peace to their nations. There was no need for war. Now we see the opposite with American policy. You look news in past 24 hours. Boeing is delivering 1,000 advanced bombs to Israel. If you put these bombs next to each other, explode them, half of it will destroy half of Israel. Where are they going to use this 1,000 pounds from Boeing? Mm. How many more children of Palestinians, Egyptians, and Israelis and Americans are going to die? When the Israelis drag the Palestinians out of their home with their hair to destroy the buildings, to build new buildings for the Jewish people, we didn't see it in public news. I get pictures of it. When Israeli taken from the same building of the, they took by force the same way is a world cry. Because CNN has decided. This atrocities has to stop. And it comes when there's a just power on this planet, when there is no need to fight, when there is no one is more powerful than other. And through our agreement, we will reach this point. Mm. They wanted seven to 10 years. I wanted in one to two years. Mm -hmm. And technology will prevail. That the gun policy becomes obsolete. 
And this aggression in Gaza has opened a lot of questions. You look at the figures, how many rockets have been hit, blah, blah, and how many people have been ill. We look at the security structure. How could the Palestinians who have no manufacturing capability bring thousands of rockets within the border of Israel without the most advanced intelligence organization, which the Israelis and Americans wrap themselves to be, have not seen? They don't talk about this because it's embarrassing. It's absolutely shameful what we see. How did these people manage to bring so much weapons to the borders that can create this mayhem? Israeli people have asked the government, they have to ask the question, forget about what is happening here. How did all this money we spend, all the money America gives us, all the money we get from Palestinians, uh, from the Saudis and everybody else, did not give us this situation? You got to understand the day of attack. This was chosen historically. Attack was planned for the 6th of October. The night of the 7th. Go back 50 years, those of you can go back that far. October 6th and 7th, what happened in Palestine? Six-day war, the Yom Kippur war. That day, within six days, Israelis took half of Sinai Desert because the American intelligence told them these Arabs are ready to come in, the Egyptians were coming in, the Syrians were coming in to literally wipe out Israel. And that time, the intelligence given to the Israelis gave them upper hand, American put all the weapons in Israel, and they got half of Sinai Desert, and most of you eating Jaffa oranges know what happened, how they come. is changing the desert, putting tarmac on the Sinai Desert, making the orange trees, which you call the Jaffa orange. This was done on the same day, more or less. But they don't tell you. The Israelis are so busy and embarrassing what happened to them. But the problem is, why did the Palestinians have to go to this cause? Why did they have to go to this extent? It's wrong. But have they been left an option to be there? At the moment today, more Israelis have been killed than the Palestinians with all the almighty wire, with all the might power of the United States. And how did the Palestinian hit 10,000 rockets on the borders of Israel? And how and where did they move it to? You don't want to hear Israelis don't want to talk about it. This is, if it was in any other place in the world, Israeli presence should be stacked immediately. 
He has led the nation down for security. With all the power they have, all the satellites, all the remote cameras on Gaza Strip, all everything else, but it is come. Have the Palestinian use a new technology or not to be seen by satellites? Have a new strike of what has come into operation that the Arabs who were reporting back to Israelis everything kept their mouth shut. There's a lot of things has to be answered. But the biggest question is, where did Israeli security fail? To see 10,000 rockets moved across, most probably, some of it come from Ukraine war. The Ukrainian officers, half of the weapon that given to them to defend their nation are selling it to the others. The most strangest thing is, was the question I put to one of the people in defense technology in the past few days, is why don't they, the Israelis show the rockets and the label written on them? Majority are made in the United States. Most probably. A lot of missiles which were supposed to go to Ukraine, how could they end up in Palestine? It's no use blaming the Iranians are supplying. It's look at Ukraine, where have missiles disappeared to? Finger pointing doesn't work. We are not here to defend Palestinians or Israelis. I look at, as I've done for years, right across. Who's wrong, who's right? What caused their fight? Is there a problem? We have to provide the technology which does not allow these things to happen. We have to create a condition that allows nations to live, societies to live, religions to live, races to live amongst each other in peace. This is the reason for London Conference. It's no use trying to type with the tension in Palestinians hitting rocket onto Israel, or how many Israelis hit at the Palestine. We have to find a solution that this condition doesn't exist. It's no use transmuting Palestinians to another star, give them a star, give them a planet. Shall we do that with Israelis too? Or can we change this hatism to a friendship, to collaboration? to operation together. And the main cause of this is United States at the moment. Mm-hmm. Why does a company like Boeing holds 1,000 
what do you call it, missiles are ready to be delivered. For how many more years Israel is going to pay for this rocket? How much more criminal systems has come to be built that creates funds for, that it pays for these things? A three billion contract with Germany for new missiles for Israel. If they have such a contract, if they have such a technology, what do they need weapons from Boeing? Germany has just signed itself to this, one of the largest defense weapon contracts sold by the Israelis. So Israelis could not defend uh, Saudis and the bases of Americans in Iraq. Now they are selling the same thing to the Germans, which ministers in Germany has been receiving whatever negotiations we've seen with them in the EU to get such a thing put to Germany under such a burden. This is what we have to understand. With creating condition that they live together. The hatred has come out of years of repression. The, uh, the situation is that there are now, out of 9 million citizens of Israel, nearly 5 million Palestinians. Jewish citizens in numbers are lower than the Palestinians. And this number is increasing. In the next 10 or 15 years, the number of Palestinians born in Israel will be two-third to one-third. You've got to understand, a lot of Jewish girls, a lot of Jewish boys are marrying outside faith. This is one of the biggest trends of the Jewish community around the world. They're marrying Muslims, they're marrying Christians, they're marrying Buddhists, they're marrying everybody else except Jews. Mm-hmm. So, Jews don't have that number to create more. The Jewish women are like a rabbit, they're creating as many children as they can, but the number does not match the Palestinians. In the next 15, 20 years, gradually the numbers will increase. The majority will not allow the minority to rule. We have the same situation as South Africa. And we will see more of these conflicts coming up. Unless the Israelis set the scene, the condition for coexistence, peaceful coexistence between all Palestinians. How come one and a half million have to be in Gaza Strip and 4.9 million, 5 million has to be inside Israel? Why can't we open the borders and make one nation out of it? Is your own? This is going to happen. It's inevitable. We absolutely cannot be stopped in the next 20 years. Adding another 1.5 million Palestinians from Gaza into uh, to make one country out of Israel is it will happen. Two state nation does not work. It will not work. Israel at the moment is 60%, 55% Palestinian, 40%, 45% Israelis. And 
90%, 80% of these Israelis who are capable to do carry American passport with them. True single passport Israelis are very few. But all the Palestinians carry the Israeli passport. Cutting education, cutting water, cutting electricity does not help. It makes it more aggregated to go for the next step. And soon, if it's pushed to tens of thousands killing, then you will see the reaction from the Islamic board on Israel. And that's one thing Israel has to avoid. We saw today, I've just received the message, a meeting of the Iran president with the prince of Saudi Arabia. What forces people to come into to talk and to get to this point? The Palestinians should have never happened. Position as the situation today has to be resolved that Jews and the Palestinians have did for centuries go back and live together in peace. Israelis should have learned from the Holocaust not to create on the Holocaust for the others what happened to them. If it wasn't good for them, how come it's good for 1.5 million people in Gaza? When you go to Washington, when you go to the Jewish Museum, Holocaust Museum, and you walk through the tunnels, the smells of the shoes, they have created the same Holocaust for the Palestinians in Gaza and on the other side, West Bank. They don't tell you. They should have learned to accommodate the way it was. The whole of the society in Middle East they would have loved and looked after it. They chose this path, and with it, they bring their own demise. You just wait. Numbers increases to the numbers that are increasing. You find out 10 million to 4 million. 12 million to 5 million, and in 25 years, the new Palestinians who are born in Nepal has been killed. 10 of them, 5 of them in Nepal's house, one enemy has become five. And disastrous. And the work we are doing with the Chinese government, and the work we are doing with other nations, will guarantee that the security in gun policy comes to that. And that's the only way it will be done. When you have nothing to fight with, you'll talk. And that position, and in the recent policies of the Chinese government, you see that. Coexistence, dialogue, and back. We cannot fight this. This, this Palestinian situation has been evolving since the 1980s. And uh, we try to support in every way. We try to support the nationals. We don't get involved with, with the government since this is not the work of the Kipish Foundation or my companies in the past. You're there to make life easier. I remember in 1980s, we had the Winter Olympic in Canada earlier on. There were millions, thousands, and hundreds of thousands, pens, and 
all sorts of things stationary, which was specially ordered by Canada for the Winter Olympic, was Cyprus. In one of my companies, we bought this surplus from Canada. I still remember some of the pens considered a little bit old. Some of them were not even right. And I shipped this to go to um, through Israel to the Palestinian schools. And we shipped the surplus Canadian Olympic stationery as a gift to the Palestinian children who have no pen and pencil to study. My work for peace has not started with Keshe Mahesh. For years, I put supply of Litware, we used to manufacture during the summertime in Manchester, buy across the world, and this drying is always under the Hebrew label on it, and ship it to Palestine as cheap as possible to clothe the Palestinians in Gaza Strip when, like, when the winters are cold and they had nothing. Every year, up to quarter of a minute plus was shipped from our offices in Manchester. Many times I told to my Jewish relatives, there's no use carrying on with what's going on. We have to find a solution that we live in peaceful common And the small one with the last one, this this show the big gap in intelligence gathering security. And the biggest question is why don't the Americans open up the rockets and tell us where they're made? They all carry American digits, American labels, registered numbers. You got to remember all the American equipments have 13 or 16 digit code on them. You can pop out. Where these missiles destined for Russia and the Ukrainian leadership has got paid for it and transferred it to unknown destination because no one knows if they are fired or not fired. There are a lot of questions to ask from the Americans especially from the White House, and especially from Israelis. You claim rockets, show with the shrapnels. And I'm sure out of 3,000, 4,000, if you still haven't exploded or pieces of the numbers are there. Before accusing Iran of supply, let independent international investigators or people to go to Palestine and check the numbers in Israel and see if these numbers matches with American export of rockets and the rest of Europeans before accusing you. And then you ask the Ukrainian leadership, 
much why the Russians are so powerful and they're still creating problems for you where half of the weapons are sold in other places. There are a lot of questions to answer. We are observers and we monitor. And as the Iranian leadership said, we have nothing to do with it. Look at your own pocket. We you sold your weapon and where it was sold. This is a question international world has to ask Israel, show us the share numbers, show us the end, show us the registration number like that. And if they match with the production in the American factories, then Americans have to ask Ukrainians. You got to understand 10,000 rockets is cannot be put in the pocket of carried. They walk on the back of launches. Mm-hmm. Where did these launches come? The rest is tactical, how and the way they've done it. We see the same operation in Palestine, in capturing Israelis on the back of the bikes. The same as these are the Palestinians who were in Iran capturing a few months ago, Iranian women and men on the street. It's the same technique, the same people. There are mercenaries working within the center, even the least. When I look at the videos, how these on the back of the bikes get people do go back and look at what happened in Iran just eight months ago. There is a lot of things which doesn't pass our eyes. We watch, we monitor. These are not Palestinians, these are mercenaries who equip them that now they move from Iran into Palestine, the same technique, the same tactic. Now you understand when I tell you, Iran revolution, no Iranian has ever killed an Iranian. These are paid to do, now they are paid to do this. When you hear the slaughtering, beheading and the rest of it, you didn't do that in Iran, you saw a five-year child being shot blind, blank. No Iranian has ever killed in the Iranian revolution in Iran, except those in five courts, which again were paid by those who wanted to confiscate their properties. Then you understand. The game is unplayed. And the situation in Palestine has more to answer, and a solution to it is literally disarming the superpowers who claim gun policy is the only policy because it runs the factories. Okay, let's do um, uh, 
Miss Bulber here. Teresa Bular. Pardon, honey? Teresa Bular. I'll just read this little bit introduction here. John, join Nassim Harmeen and me, Teresa Bullard, once again, as we delve into the profound connection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge physics, unraveling the hidden geometry, shaping our reality. In this captivating episode, challenge, challenge your understanding as we reveal the universal's the universe's self-awareness bridging spirituality and intelligence in a cosmic dance of existence explore the woven fabric of quant quantized quant quantized space-time resembling pixels and its profound connection to sacred geometry from the tetrahedron seed to the flower of life, witness the fusion of ancient symbology and modern science. So mm. we'll just go on and listen to this. Okay. Here we go. This is uh, 41 minutes, right, Ron? Mm-hmm. I wanted a place for people to receive authentic guidance and practical ways to awaken. Thought-provoking, paradigm-shifting, and empowering. That's- This is about expanding our human consciousness to create a wave of new possibilities. I'm Dr. Teresa Willard-White, and this is Quantum Minds TV. Welcome back to Quantum Minds TV, where we take a deep dive into various perspectives on what it's going to take to create a shift in human consciousness. In this episode, we're continuing the conversation with Nassim Haramine, founder of the Resonance Science Foundation and Taurus Tech, among many other notable achievements. The universe is not only growing, it is knowing itself. It is self-aware. It is analyzing its own information, its own existence. And that that brings in the essence of a spiritual intelligence. We, you know, it might be very um, all-encompassing. We can't, you know, humanize it or anthropomorphize it, but it is this universe is um, intelligent and, and there is an awareness there. And what that, you know, says, like, it's not a closed universe, it's an open universe, it's growing, it's expanding. You know, science, the, the old paradigm of science would say entropy ultimately rules and, and that the universe is ultimately doomed to, to die in this sort of cold death, for example, and just everything would become so decayed and, entropy, you know, entropy would normalize everything. But that's not what we see in the universe. We see higher and higher uh, evolution toward more forms of order, more forms of life, more growth and intelligence and, and so forth. And so the, our universe is like geared towards life and and order and structure. 
And so that kind of brings us to what I think you've done, which is not only have you worked with this concept of the holographic principle and the fractal scaling, but you've also brought in the idea of geometry, sacred geometry, if I may, um, that structures the universe and structures the quantum vacuum. You know, you've, you've, we've, you've made that leap of quantizing space-time itself. And I think we should break that down for people. I, I mean, my understanding to quantize, quantum means that it's it's discrete. It's it's a quanta. It's a little piece. Um, it's either on or off. It's in or out. You know, there's these states uh, of existence, and then those are discrete states. And in between, there's sort of this quantum field of superpositions of many possibilities. But it's they call it the forbidden zone in quantum physics. And you know, so so they quantized particles, but you know, you've made the leap to quantize space time. And not so, so space time isn't like a continuous fabric, it's more like a woven fabric. And you have these sort of not nodes and so forth of, of where those quanta are. But yeah, like pixels. But you've also given it a geometric structure. So can you share with us some of like how you've incorporated sacred geometry into your findings and then what geometry have you uh, discovered is, is at the key? Right. So, so, you know, from when I was, you know, not, this is the reason I wanted to study independently because I studied physics, you know, in my van, I was in a van for five years by myself and I studied physics and, and, but I was able as well because I wasn't in a university to study esoteric knowledge and consciousness and all this at the same time. And as I was it, so, so since I realized in physics we were missing the fundamental field, and I realized the ancient had it, I'm mm-hmm. like, well, what did the ancient have to say about it? Because the fact that they already knew it was there was remarkable, but maybe they knew something more than just it's a field, right? Yeah. So then, then I realized that when they described that field, they said it had a very specific geometric you know, component to it, that it was highly organized, very geometric and all this. And they built symbology in all of these different cultures mm-hmm. describing the geometry of that field. Mm-hmm. And um, and I realized that when I was taking the geometry of, of, of different cultures across the world from each other, they had similar relationship and component. It was like putting like, pieces of a puzzle together and like when you put them together you kind of got the whole thing right mm-hmm. and so i was like whoa you know that can't be coincidental and, and so i mean i you know philosophically i was thinking well if we're made of that field it's naturally that it would naturally emerge from our culture right mm-hmm. if we had like enough insight into ourselves, we would eventually discover this geometric nature. And so um, I started to study it in detail and I came to conclusions about its geometry, meaning it was it was definitely tetrahedral in nature. Uh, it, it would, you know, space-time was triangulating. Uh, I mean, to me, it was no consequence that Special relativity can be all written on a 
you know, on a, on a right angle triangle, you know, like on a Pythagorean tire triangle. And so that like, so it was geometric in nature and all this and that. I, I, I came to conclude that it had to look something like a 64 tetrahedron grid, right? The 64 tetrahedron arranged in a metric, a specific metric that produced a perfect equilibrium between the inside and the outside and all this. And that would be the fundamental pixel, if you'd like, or voxel, uh, because it's got volume oh, yeah. um, of space time, right? Mm-hmm. And but it was heuristic. I, I was just, you know, it was definitely heuristic. I, I, you know, it was extrapolated from ancient civilization and a lot <laughs> of logic and studying Buckminster Fuller and all this stuff. Uh-huh. But, but, uh, but then I was blown away. Uh, I was blown away in like two thousand. I think it was like around 2015 uh, or 16 with uh, with Dr. Amira Baubaker, we were calculating. Um, so we were calculating this holographic mass solution had come up with for the radius, the proton, <laughs> and where I was considering the information in the volume, which happens to be the mass of the universe or all the other protons in the universe, and the information on the surface. Um, and I was trying to figure out like that screening coefficient that get, and I, I had found this, but I was trying to figure out, okay, so is like, if I shrink that down, um, it had to do as well with one thing. I just want to put that little piece in is that if you take Einstein field equations or the Schwarzschild solution for a black hole and you take a uh, quantum vacuum fluctuation that gives you the Planck mass, the mass of one oscillation of the vacuum, which is 10 to minus 5 grams, right? It's, it's large because it's vibrating very fast. Um, and and you you plug that into Einstein's equation so that you, you put the mass of the Planck into Einstein's field equation, you end up with a radius for the for a black hole that's twice the Planck length, okay? And uh, so there's a factor of two. So I was trying to figure out this factor of two, which is at the base, there's twos flying in the equations everywhere in physics, and it's not always clear where they come from. But anyway, (laughs) so, so, so I was figuring out this factor of two, and I realized that if I made a black hole, so it, it got, it gives a black hole, right? For the Planck scale, at uh, twice the Planck length, if I took that little black hole and I, instead of solving it with Einstein field equations, I solved it with my holographic mass solution, I would end up with exactly um, 64 vacuum oscillation inside and 64 on the surface. The screening is, is one, meaning all the information inside is able to communicate with the outside. And, so it's it's perfect. It's the wow. perfect pixel, wow. you know. <laughs> and and I was blown away because I had described the vacuum fluctuation for this this equation as little spheres, right? Planck spherical units, yeah. I call them. Yeah. And and if you put sixty four Planck spherical units together, you get the flower of life uh-huh. in three D kind of deal. And uh-huh. you get that that metric I had come up with like. 20 years earlier in my van, 
and and um you know and it was it was perfect for describing the fundamental pixel because that one has zero entropy like everything it's able to communicate across the universe instantaneously it's all entangled right wow wow amazing Oof. Uh, so I'd like to just kind of step back a few again here because you said some really great things again there and we need to unpack it again. You know, you have such a brilliant <laughs> mind, but for our viewers, uh, we want to unpack some of this. So one of the things, let's just talk about sacred geometry for a moment. So like sacred geometry in the ancient mystical traditions is said to be the language of creation and the building blocks of creation. And, and even when you learn about geometry in school, and you're not talking necessarily sacred geometry, but just geometry, there's certain fundamental geometries that are the foundation that everything else in our three-dimensional world is built upon. And they, they talk about something called the five platonic solids, uh, that those are the main geometries. Every single one of those platonic solids can fit perfectly within a sphere. Every one of them, the, there's five of them, right? But each one, they have the same uh, on all their edges. The lengths are the same. The angles between those those corners are the same. Um, and, you know, they, they are the same face on every side. Right? So there's certain rules that make it a platonic solid. and then. Uh, so there's five of them, one of which you mentioned. The first one is the tetrahedron, which is like three perfect triangles, uh, four actually, you know, three sides and then the base, uh, all perfect triangles and equilateral and so forth. And then, um, and these five platonic solids actually relate to the five elements uh, from a mystical perspective. And then you can combine these or you can truncate them and combine them. And these are the things that build up much of our three-dimensional world. But if we take a step back even more to two dimensions, because the faces of these photonic solids are each two-dimensional, they're either a triangle, a square, um, you, you do have a pentagon um, on one of them. And then, of course, they all fit perfectly within a sphere, which is a circle two-dimensionally. So you have... Uh, the, the square, the circle, the triangle, and then the pentagon is, is kind of a combination of triangles and, and square. And, right. um, so, so the, these three in a two dimensional sense, the circle, the square, and the triangle are like the three, we call them, uh, in, in the mystery school tradition, the three keys to heaven, because these are the three most fundamental geometries that our entire universe is built on. And the triangle in particular, which you mentioned, because these points of space are triangulating, the triangle represents spirit. It represents the original. And in the Kabbalistic system, you know, they, they show that the top of the tree of life is a triangle. There's the three in one. And we see this, in, you know, this trinity, this three in one divine sort of Godhead figure in, in all the ancient mystical traditions around the world and throughout time, this trinity is super important. So I love how it's how it's almost like the signature of the divine. You know, the divine mind is is encoded within the very fabric of space time. Um, exactly. And then and then you, you know, you multiply that out fractally and and holographically and you get this, you know, not just a three-dimensional, but, you know, multi-dimensional structure right. of your right. 64 tetrahedron grid. And it, and I remember going in, uh, I think it was 2011, I attended one of your delegate programs and I saw right. you, you know, and how you kind of came to this structure and, and then how you later also discovered that the tree of life 
sort of a three-dimensional version of the tree of life, fractally kind of like a snowflake out, uh, you know, was also a part of this structure. So it really is like you've discovered this mother of all sacred geometries that all of the others come from. And now let's enjoy this short consciousness break featuring the amazing research of Nassim Haramein and the Resonance Science Foundation. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like from the tetrahedron or from the triangle, you can extrapolate all the others, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's the fundamental seed. And when you do, and that's a really important point, when you do, you get the, you get movement. You get, uh, you get the movement and you get a very important ratio that develops between the the tetrahedron, the octahedron, the cuboctahedron, and eventually, you know, the the icosahedron, the dodecahedron, you get the phi ratio that emerge. You mm. get you get movement, you get spirals emerging from this. You get angular momentum. And, Which is and spin. you know that the yeah, you get spin. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which is which is how creation actually manifests itself mm. and and so and so that and so so i'm gonna tell you another secret um <laughs> that's coming out in that paper <laughs> is that as so i 
so in this paper, we scaled from Planck scale, even sub-Planck, and we figured out the speed of the sub-Planck and everything, to universal size. And we get the right answer, all the correct masses and everything. We even get the right temperatures. So for instance, we, we, we take the equation for the temperature at the Planck scale, and as we apply our scaling, we end up at the temperature of the CMB or the the background temperature for the universe that we wow. measure, which, which is remarkable. Yeah, so we've cosmic gone microwave background radiation from Big Bang. Right. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is it's amazing. amazing. But but when you do that, uh, you know you can basically do the Einstein triangle for that scaling. Like how what is the universe scaling with? Right, mm-hmm. you're doing. Like so, the Einstein triangle for people that are not familiar is the is the the basis of special relativity. If you'd like, is that the momenta and the kinetic energy or the potential energy um, are connected through the hypotenuse of the triangle, right? Which is the uh, kinetic and potential energy, you know. The kinetic, the kinetic plus the potential energy gives the total energy of the system. And does, so that, come you, to, does that come to a Pythagorean uh, triangle? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Pythagoras had it. So, you know, it, there's a whole history there. Maybe mm-hmm. if we wouldn't have burned the, the, you know, the schools of Pythagoras, Maybe you you know the the universe would have you know maybe we would have evolved faster. But let <laughs> let's just say um, the you know so so we did these calculations and the total energy mm-hmm. of the the way the universe is scaling and transforming mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. and and so we use special relativity right because we know it's some it's very um, you know, exact and appropriate. So when we did that, we found <laughs> that the relationship between the kinetic energy and the potential energy happens in in the scaling of the universe happens to be a perfect phi ratio. <laughs> and we didn't put it in. We didn't put it in. Amazing. There was nowhere in our equations where phi ratio was apparent that it was going to come out <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Right? <laughs> we, it, it wasn't from a geometric consideration. It wasn't any of that. It was just straight, you know, energy calculation. And um, I didn't think it was real. So I, you know, I harassed <laughs> yeah, poor yeah. LGA for, that, for like a week, you know, trying to break it. And it's, it's like, no, no, it can't I, I, be. It's that's like, a very typical physicist thing to do. It's, you know, when it comes out too perfect and too elegant in the solution, it's like, oh, I want to believe it, but I can't allow myself to right now. So I want to see if I can tear this apart first and get it out again. <laughs> Make sure I didn't screw up, you know. <laughs> Make sure it's not circular some way, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, but it, but it's not. And it, it basically it shows you that like the parameter between kinetic energy and potential energy in the universe, where matter would be created, right? That that relationship about 
what's in the potential and what actually expresses itself kinetically in the universe is actually that phi ratio relationship, which is all over the ancient civilization, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, esoteric knowledge and with the geometry. And so it's really kind of like, you know, comes together and, um, and it, you know, and it, never mind that you find the phi ratio everywhere in nature, that you find it on your body, you know, the mm-hmm. relationship between the end of your finger and the next part of your finger is a phi ratio. And then and another one with the other side and then your hand to your finger, then your hand to your forearm and, you know, <laughs> everything. And when, uh, when, uh, when we find something beautiful, is because typically because it's very close to the phi ratio, like beautiful women like you, you know, have high phi ratio relationship in their <laughs> in their face. And, you know <laughs> and so it's it's very so we actually recognize it as beauty. Yeah. In yeah. our consciousness. Because it's harmony, right. right? It's the same this is why I mentioned Pythagoras earlier is that you know, the Pythagoreans taught that, that sacred geometry followed the same principles and the same ratios that harmony, you know, harmonics and music follows. So they said that sacred geometry was like frozen music and that that which is pleasing to the ears, what that we hear as harmonious and beautiful, is also pleasing to the eyes, that we see it as beautiful and, and aesthetic. And this fine ratio, the golden ratio, the golden mean, uh, comes from the Fibonacci sequence, but we see it all over nature. Um, from the cosmos, you know, the, the structure of galaxies, like those spiral galaxies, to the shape of a shell or uh, the flowers, you know, like on a sunflower, to our own bodies. And this is why the ancients, as you mentioned before, the ancients said, um, if you want to know the secrets of the universe, then you must know thyself. Because we are like the measure, the measures of the universe are all within us as well. So the more we come to know ourselves, the more we come to know the universe, it's we are the reflection of the whole. And yet we're also uh, our own universe within us. You know, we're a macrocosm and a microcosm and, and our connection to the universe is comes in so many ways. And and I love how you said that before, like a while back, you said um, that, you know, if this, if these ratios and this this structure um, and and this energy was already there within the fabric of space time itself, within the fabric of the quantum field, and you know we we just needed to rediscover it, and we've rediscovered it in multiple ways throughout time. We've rediscovered it through the mystics and their visions that they've had and, and the wisdom teachings that have been handed down since ancient times, and we're rediscovering it again in multiple ways through science and mathematics and geometries and all of these things, and yet they all ultimately come together, and I absolutely love how elegant and, you know, and yet, you know, just perfectly synergistic it is that your equations brought out phi, which governs so much in our universe. Yeah. It's, it's like the heartbeat of the rhythm, you know, the essence of the universe itself. And and that's a right. Big- I had to sit with it for like a while thinking, wow, you know, like, of course, if I, if these equations are right, they would come up with that. But yeah. it was just, 
wow, you know, I thought it would come up in some really complex way, you know, with like very complex mm, mechanics or, you know, that it would, it might come out that way, but to come out so clean, so beautiful, it was just, it, it, I had to sit with it and, and, and basically, you know, it brings you back. You know how you were saying earlier that was really good. I, I didn't, I didn't know this, but like that when the alchemist would get like the light or the, the reaction, it would have an impact on their consciousness mm -hmm. as well. And it was impacting them back, right? So it's yes. like a feed forward feedback thing. It was this, it's the same with me when I, yeah. when I come up, when these equations solve and this becomes clear and alpha comes out and phi comes out and all this stuff comes out. It's like every time I feel like, oh, I get a deeper, a deeper sense of my relation to the universe, to who I am, what the universe is and how I interact with it. it like there's something fundamental that changes inside mm. of you mm. when you realize these principles. Then I think that's why these ancient knowledge set and, and philosophy were really impactful on people. You know, they would transform themselves by understanding these principles. Mm -hmm. uh, and I believe that when we develop the technology that goes along with that, it's going to transform our whole society with it, mm. with it as well. You know, like it, it, it's such a, it has a transformative effect on mm. people. For mm. instance, to see a technology that would extract energy from the vacuum and you know, that, that it does that, you know, I've seen people being transformed, mm. you know, and in some case, not necessarily well, meaning like transformation can be tough. Shocking. You know, sometimes. it can be shocking. Yeah. It can have, you know, it can throw you sideways. It yeah. can have, you can know, unravel belief systems, entire paradigms get shattered uh, when we have. Right. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Wow. And, and certainly, you know, uh, a device that extracts energy with no energy source is is sometimes something that twists you know like changes something in in the mind that like oh you know we're not limited to a finite reserve of energy on our planet or you know like it transforms it like opens to like wow you know mm -hmm. all of a sudden you know space travel you know like all of a sudden like being part of something larger, of not being an isolated system, mm. you know, being part of an amazing network or an amazing will work some nature, you know. Mm. I love how you, you've shared that. I, I've experienced that both as a scientist and as a mystic, you know, I've experienced both sides of these mind expanding epiphanies, um, you know, as a scientist, for example, uh, back in university, when I came across for the first time Euler's identity, which is showing that there is a direct link between all these other constants like phi, the golden ratio, uh, E, 
uh, you know, the natural logarithm, I, the imaginary, and you saw that they all came together. You thought they were separate, but then there's this identity that says, no, they're all linked as one thing. I thought that was like so mind blowing to me as a scientist. And also, you know, knowing that our universe is so finely tuned for life. And that, you know, if you just change any of those fundamental constants just a little bit, like we would not have planets and stars and, and life as we know it. And so our universe is so finely tuned for life that it's just incredible. And to me, it's just so elegant. It's such, it, it just speaks volumes that there is an intention, that there is an intelligence behind this universe. And I know that, you know, some of the materialist scientists today wanted to say, well, you know, the many worlds hypothesis of quantum physics, and there's multiverses, and in the multiverse, there's infinite possible universes. Every one of them has a different, you know, arrangement. Therefore, ours is nothing special. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, in, in, in mystical Kabbalah, we also work with multiverses, and yet you still have a spiritual intelligence and a purpose behind it all. And, you know, I think it's just there's two two types of people, you know, those who choose to see the beauty and the meaning and the elegance and the purpose behind things. And those who just, you know, are, are kind of cynical and nihilistic and say, no, there's no purpose to it. It's just, maybe it's beautiful, but if there's no purpose to it. And it's like, no, purpose wow. is, is the key that makes, you know, it exciting and magical and meaningful. And, you know, that the, yeah, the many world theory to deal with the fine-tuning problem, which is, mm -hmm. you know, you were describing, right? The fact that the universe is perfectly tuned for life. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of funny because it's probably the biggest cop-out in physics ever. <laughs> yeah, to say, you know, to say that, well, in an infinite amount of universes, there's, there's at least one possibility that one of them would be exactly tuned. Right. <laughs> And we happen to be in it, right? <laughs> and um, and um, you know, it, it's like okay, if you want to, I, I thought we were doing physics, but you know, if you want to do philosophy that way, fine. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, if you're doing physics, right, <laughs> you, you'd find that there is actually very specific relationship in ratios mm. that that are so because they all relate to each other. That's the thing. You, you see, this is where it's really, really important to uh, to to make the distinction. The the problem with the other view, which is not the multi-world uh, theory, but but the other view, which is like this purpose, the, it that sounds religious. Mm. religious right so so that repels the physicists right. because they go oh, and and so but but um but uh the you know the intelligent universe doesn't have to be from a godlike you know uh entity that's ruling on all things and making it that way or some or, or another view currently, you know, held by others that like it's just a computer program that no, somebody wrote. Simulation. Right? <laughs> yeah, in simulation. Um, actually, you can actually have the whole field feeds the individual and the individual field feed the whole in a self-property 
you know, uh, perpetually, um, you know, uh, uh, feeding itself system that is growing and learning about itself, just like you, you know, just like yourself perpetuating and learning. Well, you know, the, the universe can be this so that because nothing is isolated, all information in the universe is able to feed to any other place. So, so the, the system is highly tuned because it's all learning from itself and it, it, it continuously increase organization and, and structure and, and coherency and, and energy level so that it, it continuously tune to the highest level of evolution it can tune to. Mm. And in that case, you don't need, you don't need a God. Everything is God, mm. right? Everything is, is participating and, and everything is an and. You're part of this thing. You're part, you're participating. Your, your participation is critical mm-hmm. to the whole thing. Yeah. Right? It, that's the quantum physics that we live in a participatory universe that our observation of the universe helped, you know, and in a mystical sense, they also say that the universe created us so that it can know itself. That, you know, through our reflection, through our observation, through our ability to come to know it and to know ourselves, the universe is also knowing itself. And, you know, when you come back to this quantum entanglement of everything and, and at the quantum level of everything becomes one, it's unified. There is no God versus us. It's all one. Right. So we are that universe right. that is coming to know itself. And 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 yet I believe that 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 essence of awareness and and some level of what we might call spiritual intelligence is actually primary. This is this is a hermetic teaching that the universe is mental, that everything starts as a, a thought in this one great mind and then manifests from that versus what science today is saying, well, consciousness is emergent, that that there's information but it's not purposeful information, it's just information and matter, time, space, energy, you know, and consciousness are all emergent properties from that information. But I feel that now there's some intention from this universal mind. And that's, that's the, you know, it's, that's the essence of the difference right there is was there. Right, right, right. Because they assume a random fluctuation of the vacuum structure and, and, and there's regions that are random. There's regions that are highly organized, and we call them atoms. And so, the, 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 and the information is moving through this atom structure and through that network. So, so I, you know, the 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 idea that it's all random, and and that consciousness or even biology is a fluke mm. of self-organizing system <laughs> is is not only mathematically completely unfounded meaning mathematically it doesn't add up like in in since the so-called big bang the beginning of the universe which that can be debated too <laughs> um there's not enough time to even make one microbe, never mind a microbe, make one cell, one single cell, right? Uh, the complexity of like the way the amino acids and all this stuff come together and make one cell that function, right? 
in 13.7 billion years, no go. You, the calculation we did in our paper, um, you know, um, uh, uh, space uh, memory network, uh, um, it's the only paper I wrote in biophysics. Uh, well, actually, I wrote two, but uh, anyway. So it, in there, um, we calculate, you know, the probability, and we're like at trillions and trillions of years past the Big Bang to have enough time for the universe to, like, come up with all the random calculations, you know, the random interaction it would have to go through to somehow make a cell. And then, like, if there was just, like, a volcano eruption at that same moment, or just a little stone would just fall on the cell and kill it, then it would take another <laughs> trillion, you know, millions of millions. And so it's like, you know, the, the, it's just not possible. So, like, viewed from that perspective, the, you know, the tuning problem in physics cannot be because there's infinite amount of universe. It's just, it has to be because there's high coherent information flow and, um, and we're the product of it. We're the evidence of it. Like it's insane. Like a hundred trillion cells that are like functioning absolutely perfectly, you know, every second, like trillions of chemical change in your body are happening so that you can stay coherent right here <laughs> and actually absorb information and, and compute it and like transform it and, and feed it back to the universe. And mm -hmm. then the, the universe can feed you back your experience, you know, and, and so, you know, it, 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 all of a sudden you start to feel the godlike nature of creation, <laughs> not a god that's somewhere else, but like the the incredible power and beauty of creation that you're like the the you know epicenter of, like you're the like you're the 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 greatest jewel of accomplishment, right? Maybe. But don't forget everybody else as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're like a big cosmic web, and at every point of the the web, can you know, coming into junction, there's this multifaceted, beautiful jewel of creation, and we're all on that big web, and we're all those jewels, and that totality of all of that is, you know, the, the oneness. So join us again as we continue to dive deeper into this fascinating conversation with Nassim Haramine on the next episode of Quantum Minds TV. This conscious conversation was created, produced, and recorded by Dr. Teresa Bullard-White in collaboration with Nassim Haramine and edited by Verse Content and HH Holmes and Photo. The theme music and intro videography were created by Tim Mountain of Evenload Productions. Quantum Minds TV is a product of the Quantum Learning Academy. Thing here, everybody. I'm just gonna go on a little hunting trip here. For this. <clears throat> Very exciting. We are living in the most exciting of times, everybody. <laughs>
coming up. Pardon, honey. Oh, I'm getting there. He's getting there. <laughs> well, got a good day tomorrow as well, everyone. Um, Here we go. All right. Here we go. Yeah, just read something. No. Okay. I'm gonna get past the commercial. Oh, commercial. <clears throat> Galactic Federation Transmission to Humanity. Dear ones, be awake, be ready, be focused, feel it inside you with conviction. You know that the moment of awakening is near. You are right on the threshold of a powerful new wave. So now is the time to prepare yourself. Are you ready to move on from your life as it has been and step into a new reality? This is a wake-up call for people who are ready to see the light of truth, gain spiritual awareness, and have their lives transformed for the better. Humanity's slavery is coming to an end. Pleasure, joy, happiness will abound. But above all, it will be wonderful because it will be in contact with the divine, in contact with God. God is waiting for your awakening. He is waiting for you to love him again. When you're feeling uncertain about the future, don't forget that your thoughts are powerful. They are taken to the universe by the speed of light and affect everyone's reality. When we observe certain people's thinking patterns, they seem to be extremely negative. They still wish to spend their lives in the third dimension without love, equality, or courage. They don't realize that their thoughts create reality, which slows down the transformation process. Your world is created by your thoughts. Avoid interference by tuning your inner voice to the positive, the realistic, and the truth. It is the most important tool in creating happiness, success, and prosperity. Think about how everyone would be clean and green. Imagine that there is peace, peace amongst all the living creatures, Peace between humans, peace between animals, peace even with plants, because even plants have a right to live on this planet too. If you really want to help out on this perfect planet, hold this vision and send some love out into the universe. Create a happier, more peaceful planet. Think of a perfect planet. The perfect planet is a perfect civilization beyond any religion, ideology, or culture it is a philosophy for a peaceful, harmonious existence. The soil does not belong to anyone. It belongs to Gaia. She is part of you, and you are part of her. The borders around the countries, the colonies, they are all artificial. The surface of the earth belongs to no one. 
This is why anyone can live anywhere that they choose. We see no borders in the future. With the borders open and no longer any need to cross, you can talk and work with anyone. Location simply becomes a matter of stillness and motionlessness. The entire world will be your homeland. Everything will exist everywhere, and everything will be at hand for everyone. Everything will be shared. No ownership, no limits, no places for selfishness, greediness, and hoarding. No place for stealing. It's all yours. There is no place for violence. Everything belongs to everyone. The bullying mind hands itself over to higher consciousness, where there is equality, harmony, and abundance for all. The new era is here. The era of new people. The era in which everyone on this planet is on an equal footing. No more poverty. No more starvation. No more homelessness. All are brothers and sisters. All are friends. Let's dance in the fifth dimension with love, joy, and laughter. Everyone has a right to live without poverty. Everyone has a right to get out from under the yoke of unending debt that enslaves them and gives them hope for the future. Everyone deserves a dignified death. We know what would be ideal in the new world: a shared economy with no private ownership of land or businesses. An all-around abundance in which everyone has the basic necessities and wealth is not concentrated in the hands of a few. Everyone, without exception, should be guaranteed an equal number of resources. Your life will be your own creation. You will know how to create, to love, and to perform your duties without the need for coercion from your superiors, from anyone. You will work because you want to, not because you have to. You will give of yourself freely and with love to all, knowing that you are a part of each and every one. So we tell you, the fifth dimensional light that is coming to the planet is your best friend. It's everything you want and everything you can imagine. It's a beautiful and kind best friend that wants you to be happy and free. It is returning to the planet right now to take you back to the Garden of Eden. It is returning to make this a paradise world. This light force has only one agenda, only one, and it is to transform all of humanity into a completely loving being. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. Aho! This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, ambassador of the Galactic Federation. Necessary to die, everyone. That's what I say. Did you forget about me? No, I'm just getting ready to open my mouth. But now that you got your mouth open, pass the talking stick. <laughs> Usually, you play her at the end. I mean, him. And so, you know, I just wasn't sure if you forgot or not. I didn't forget you. Okay, well, yeah, and I, I just totally agree with that whole image of what we, what we have in front of us that we just listened to from Aurora Ray there. And uh, yeah, thank you for the evening, and we get to do this again later this afternoon. <laughs> 
I pass the talking stick. Thank you, Rainbird. Thank you for your wise words. And Rama, it's time to go, isn't it? Yeah, it's about twelve thirty. Ah, Peter's saying good night. We fleet, we float, we fleet, we float, we fly. Yeah. Good night, everyone. No, and I see you in your dreams and on the bridge. Dot nom. Dot nom G. Thirteen thank yous. Honey in the heart, no evil. Live long and prosper. Aloha. Aloha.